You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on all the cool and exciting new projects happening in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle. I'm joined by my co-host, Tim, and rejoined by our other co-host, Paul, this week. How's it going, guys? It's going good. Made even better now that Paul's back. We missed you on the last one. Oh, guys. Ah, No, it's been a... I I don't like missing podcasts. Of all my three main shows, um, the fourth, which I'm I'm still... We're still trying to get warmed up and get that thing up and running with the Spider-Man or Spidey Dude Experience podcast. Um, No, my three main shows, obviously the MCU fan show, Saga Continues, and the Binge Comic, or I always call it Binge Comics, Comic Binge, because twitter um i don't i don't like missing shows in general especially these three and uh you know with having a kid it's you know my wife has been extremely patient and knows how important podcasting is and it's been great but some days i just i need a break and just kind of need to kind of rewind and just kind of uh, just kind of relax for a minute so i didn't like missing the last episode um you know but you guys are such you know, you're such good close friends of mine. You guys are really cool. You're not like, can't we miss a show? You know, I mean, so yeah, it's the really, podcast for good. That's exactly yeah, what exactly. we sounded like if you if you actually listen to it. I well, I know. <laughs> I figured. Uh, I that's why you haven't listened to it yet. Yeah, <laughs> I I meant to listen to it because I wanted to, you know listen to you guys' thoughts on squadrons. I just been it's been nuts. Um, but that that being said. Thanks. Uh, I knew you guys, you know, were, like always super supportive and I, I just love being on the show and talking with you guys. You know, I mean, like, like I always like, try to explain to people like doing the show is very much just like me hanging out with you guys. So it's it's just it's very natural and just a lot of fun. And whether it be like us all hanging out, just hanging out or recording, have other people listen to it. It really makes no difference how many people listen to it because I get to hang out with you guys. So that's all that matters. So. Uh, but yeah, it's great. I'm glad I got we got a lot of great things to talk about. So I'm like I'm really excited to be back on, and it's just good to talk about Star Wars again. I, I gotta gotta profess a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit about it, I think on this uh, uh, this very episode. It's just been kind of tougher for me to get into Star Wars a little bit, which I'll kind of dive into a little bit later. But I feel it's starting to really kind of slowly come back to me. My my you know getting really re ramped up for a lot of different things. So. Uh, I'm excited, you know, to talk about Star Wars tonight. As all as usually, but especially right now, I'm really excited to talk about it. Well, I sure hope so because the Mandalorian season two starts in a uh, week from tomorrow, as it's of us recording this. Why? So, Duh. so yeah, yeah, you better get excited for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, before we get into uh, 
the you know our topics that we're going to talk about today. I mean, we've got a little bit of stuff to talk about with uh, the Mandalorian and the High Republic and stuff like that, and then. Like I said last time, we've kind of been saving having sort of a, a more, I guess, deep, maybe heavy discussion on just sort of the state of things, the future of Star Wars, um, a couple of articles and interviews and stuff from from some of the actors that have come out uh, recently that we haven't talked about yet. So we're going to get into all that stuff. Um, before we do, though, Paul, I know you wanted to uh, give some quick thoughts on Squadrons. Now, before you do that, I, I got to throw you under the bus because we said that on this episode we were going to go in depth and have a review like a spoiler review of the story and all that and then when we were texting earlier this week paul's like guys i don't know if i'm going to finish the story sounding an awful lot like he makes me sound with star wars books so uh you know we'll we'll see (laughs) if paul ever ends up finishing a video game campaign one of these days but whoa um, whoa whoa. yeah anyway continue (laughs) Continue. yeah no no no. i'll I'll let you continue with your your thoughts on what you've played of squadron so far well, okay. First of all, it's really hard to have free time for me right now. So you gotta give me some slack on this. For you know, a couple of years ago, or even like literally like six months ago, I would probably or seven months ago, I'd have way more time to do squadrons and do all that stuff before I had a kid. Okay. Now that here's was- the other part of that because that's completely understandable. But we also yeah. know, or at least Tim and I know how much you hate flying in Battlefront. And so okay. when there was a new Star Wars game coming out that was all about flying and space combat and you were like super excited for it. And I was the skeptical one. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, is Paul really going to enjoy this? I just don't see it. And okay. now here we are. Okay. And that's all, those are all fair points. The, the, here's the thing as far. And, and I think I've, I talked about it on the sh- previous shows too, is that, I mean, it's a new star Wars, anything, w- whether it be a book, comic movie, book, you know, whatever. I mean, I get kind of excited about it unless it's about queen Amidala, which I could give a <laughs> crap about. I'm sorry. It's just, I just don't care. I, yeah, I've gone too much about that, but that's like, it's literally the only star Wars books I was not excited about. Um, really? So that being said, the Star Wars Squadrons game it was exciting because it's a video game. I, I was excited about getting anything at Star Wars at that point. My biggest criticism of the Battlefront uh, Squadron parts of those games, it, it never felt very, it always felt clunky to me. And it never felt like I was really in battle. Or not. that's not the right word I'm looking for, but and I just could not just dive into it completely because I enjoyed, I think, the ground assault way more. And when I had the options of doing one or the other, I'm always going to go with the ground assault. And I just also felt that the controls and everything, there wasn't a lot of TLC to the squadron part as much as it was for the ground assault. It it felt very much like the the squadron uh, parts were, were kind of like the, the add on, like the, not the throwaway, but the kind of, yeah, here's it. We also, we all know you like to fly ships too. So here's some, you know, whatever. So it, it never felt like there was a lot of attention and love that, were, that was given into that, that side of the game as much as it was for the ground assault stuff, which again, that's more my thing. And I think more people are like me um, that at least at this point or before squadrons, um, was more of kind of the ground assault kind of person. And so I just, yeah, I could never, and when you guys played, I just could not connect with flying as much. And I never, and again, I wasn't always a big, I, I mean, I played TIE fighter, 
TIE Fighter and X-Wing back in the day, Rebel Assault 2. I, and I love uh, those two games. podcasts in a row where Rebel Assault 2 gets a name yep. drop. I love it. <laughs> Dude, Rebel Assault 2 was like, the, like that was a big deal back in oh, the day yeah. when, I was, when I was a kid, man. Like, I remember my brother bringing that home and I, playing that the Hoth level just going out of my mind, thinking that that was groundbreaking at the time, you know? Well, oh, that man. was the first one. Rebel Assault 2 didn't have halls, but. Wait, 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 wait. Which one? Oh, you're right, you're right, right. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. See, I always get, I get them all confused. So, I. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't connect to the the the. I couldn't connect to the the squadron part of the Battlefront and Battlefront Two. Uh, fast forward to uh, Squadrons. I pre-ordered it uh, on PS4 because my very good friend and co-host at the Comic Binge podcast, Chris Clow, a very very good close friend of mine, uh, literally gave me the VR for free. Uh, because he had an extra one. He said, well, I have an extra one. I'm like, how do you have two of these? It just it doesn't make any sense to me. So he let me, and I, I, and I was like, I can't, I don't really want to buy this off you, so I don't want to get, he was like, no, no, just borrow it forever. I'm like, but that doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I gotta get, I'm just <laughs> I like that term, borrow it forever. <laughs> I don't, I'm like, I don't, but Chris, I don't want to spend it. He's like, no, 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 I'm letting you quit. This is what he literally did. Borrow with air quotations. What I was like, God, shut up, Chris. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> It's just so nice. It's just oh, so, awesome. um, yeah. So anyway, that's the reason why I bought it on on um, on PS4 is because of that. Otherwise, I would have bought it on Xbox. Now, I played a little bit of the Iron Man VR, but never. That's it. I know Vader Immortal came out, and I meant to buy that game. I just hadn't got a chance to play it yet. Blah 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 blah. Squadrons came out. As a lot of you who have listened to the show, I just had a baby back in April. And it's a little insane right now. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm the happiest that I've been in, in probably years, but I just been, it's been a lot busier, good busy. And I just I haven't had as much time to dive into the game um, as I want. And but the thing is, when it came out a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to make sure I really gave it my its due diligence and want to sit down and play it. I, the campaign, I don't care about campaigns like for Battlefront 2 and, and for this. I don't care about the campaigns. I just want to play the levels. And um, so I'm just going to keep it a little shorter here because I haven't played as much as I want. I have wanted to. And that should give you a little, little indication of what I'm about to talk about for a quick second here is I really like playing this game a lot. And I can tell you right now that the VR does help a lot. The VR is incredible. Um I just love playing. I mean, it's it's limited. It's crazy because this game is so limited in what it does as what it's giving us at the time at right now with the amount of you know places to fight at and you know you know what I'm saying. It's not the most expansive game ever. It's very limited in what what its scope is, but what its scope is is so good that I don't really care. And the VR aspect is just so good and so amazing. Like when I, when I'm in my X-Wing and I look around and it's like, I feel like I'm literally in an X-Wing, which I just, I can't even like, it's insane. That's gotta be and a crazy feeling. It, <laughs> just looking around. I, I gotta tell you, it, it's incredible. And I even, and to be quite honest, even if I didn't have VR, I, I would still enjoy the game. The controls are much better. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm out of my mind. Like it's, it's like a, the placebo effect or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, it just feels a lot better and more fluid to me than the previous battlefront games. And I also like the fact that 
you have you're just in the cockpit like it really specializes that cockpit feel of being in the fighter itself and i think that's important that's one thing i think that the when you do the outside perspective part of battlefront you kind of lose that and i think because they had they wanted you to have that option to go back and forth and back and forth back and forth that it, you kind of lose a little bit that they there wasn't again that tlc wasn't really given into the you know one one aspect of the game they wanted to make it everything to everybody and I think it loses a little bit of momentum or just kind of its natural playing ability because of that. Again, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That's just kind of my own perspective. But being in the actual cockpit of, of Star Wars Squadrons is so much fun that I could tell you that if, you know, on the week, I, I've been really busy on the weekends because I'm cleaning out my garage. Um, I'm expanding FD Studios. I'm trying to and we're just throwing tons of crap away and I just have not the weekends are my time to play and that's why we tried to jump on last week guys and I just like I can't I'm I'm busy I was busy doing stuff but you know maybe Sunday before football I'll get on and play for an hour or so but I mean I suck I'm terrible I'm sure everyone I play with online thinks I'm terrible and hates me because I bring them down but I don't care because oh, I'm I know that feeling so don't worry. <laughs> you know what I, I'm having a blast hey and, Tim and far, you're not I'm, that bad I'm, I'm never in the like top. At the best, I'm in the middle of a round. I'm always low. <laughs> but you know, I, long story short, I, I think this game's great, and I I know they're not really talking about expansions and and DLCs, but I really think they got to re rethink that because I think this game couldn't have come out at a better time during COVID. Um, again. The VR aspect is incredible. This is, I mean, if this is the start of what we're looking forward to with VR, like we're in, the world's going to be insane. So, you know, as far as video games go and VR. So I, I think this is a great, this is a great step towards that. I think this game is a lot better than what it's, it it's a lot better than what I was expecting. And it has, is, it's a lot better than it has any right to be. And I, I say that because it is so limited. But the fact is they did you could tell the people who play who made this game worked really hard to make it look and sound and feel and authentic as it could be possible. And I don't really think it was like that for the B the Battlefront games, not because the people I know a lot of same people worked on it. They just didn't have the resources amount to work on it, I think, as much as they had with with this. And I know this game is very much a Let's keep let's make as much money on Star Wars as we can while we have the license kind of thing. And that's why I said it has it's better than it has any right to be, because by rights, this should be a pretty crappy game. And it's not, in my opinion. Um, again, it's limited, but it's limited, but it it's authentic. And that to me is what I think Star Wars fans want more than anything. They want the authenticity of what they read, watch, listen, whatever of any kind of Star Wars product, whether it be film, whatever. They want it to be authentic and, you know, legit. And that to me is what we, we got out of this game. So again, I, I know you guys, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly what your guys' uh, you know, thoughts are, but that those are my thoughts and I want to play it more. It sucks. I haven't, but I, I do really like the game a lot. Yeah. Well, we both really enjoyed it too. Um, and kind of like you said, like, I, I don't know if I'd say it, it was better than has any right to be, but it definitely surpassed my expectations um, it's funny that you say that though about Star Wars fans wanting authenticity over necessarily like a bunch of content or whatever, because I think that's exactly the problem they got into with the first Battlefront game. Like, remember when they showed the behind the scenes stuff where they were out like 
photo scanning yeah. like ferns in the redwoods and stuff so they could make it look exactly like the environments of the original trilogy but then the game only had like four maps in it and everybody was like where the heck is all the content and i think with that first battlefront game they focused too much on the authenticity and not enough on you know just uh expansive content and a, a good playing experience but um yeah i think the fact that with squadrons like it is kind of small scale but it feels like they did what they set out to do and the fact that it's only 40 dollars, i think really helps too so it's like it's not a a mind-blowing game i don't think this is going to be anybody's like number one favorite star wars game but it's it's a good it's good it's a solid entry into uh you know just the, the ongoing legacy i guess of star wars games um and I'm really enjoying it as well. I would definitely recommend the campaign, though, because, like I said, for one thing, I want to be able to just, you know, talk about it and do... do. I mean, it's not like we're going to do a whole review episode with story spoilers. Um, and honestly, it's not like there's really any big plot twists or surprises or anything like that to spoil. But I think it is a... It's a solid story, but also just if you enjoy the experience of playing the game, like, some of the missions are just fun to play, sort of regardless of the um the story behind it i mean you know the story makes for like a good setup but then just playing through the missions and sticking with your squad and taking down frigates or enemy squadrons or whatever it is i mean especially later in the game those are some of the best yeah yeah there are definitely just some cool set pieces and some cool gameplay experiences in the campaign i actually i mean i finished the campaign once and then i've been doing multiplayer but i kind of want to go back and play the campaign again also if you've only done the first couple campaign missions like through the first i don't know two three four missions i was not super impressed because the day that it came out i got it i played it for like a couple hours before work and was like eh, this is kind of fun but you know i don't know if i'm really loving it went to work came back played it some more that evening and started really enjoying it and so i think the campaign does kind of pick up after the first hour or so um and i don't know maybe that was just me getting more used to it too because i definitely was not loving the first person perspective at first because I'm used to playing the third-person perspective in Battlefront, and I will completely disagree with you that they didn't put enough love and care into the Starfighter mode in that game, especially in Battlefront 2, because I still love that with all my heart. But, um, yeah, it, it took me a while to warm up to Squadrons, but I ended up really enjoying that too. So, um, yeah, it's definitely a, I, uh, a, a great, yeah. fun experience. And, and Tim, before you can jump in, I, I want to respond to the, the... You're right about Battlefront 1, they focus too much on the authenticity. And I think because they know that's what Star Wars fans want. And I think the the you touched on a couple of things. Squadrons is is not that expensive. And I think it's worth I think it's definitely worth the price you pay for it. It's you you, you get what I'm saying? That it, I feel like it, it was a good balance because even though yeah yeah no and again i'm not disagreeing with you on squadrons i'm just saying no, that right. the fact that you brought up that that authenticity and i was just making the point that they focused on that too much with Ooh. battlefront but i do think that squadrons is a good balance of that also the 40 dollars price tag really helps exactly um, i think all that together and I, and that's why i said like it really would it really baffles me that they're not going to put any dlc on this because i think they could make a real killing off that to be honest i mean think about all the different um you added b wings in there i mean mm -hmm. I, I yeah know we, you, we talked about that last time doing b wings yeah. and high defenders yeah and all that stuff so i think that there's a lot of i mean and look i'm assuming these people can do this from home like if if the stay at you know work at home or whatever is still in, intact then 
these people can still do that. They still put out this game on during COVID. So, I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, I feel like they can make, still make some good money off this. And I think they're, 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 they're seeing the fact that the star Wars fans will come out and support a game. If it's good. And it's, and it's, it's worth, it's, it's, it's worth the price you're paying, you know? So if you're paying lesser money for a game that doesn't have as much oomph to it, like a battlefront one did at first and, whatever then like i think squadrons for the most part has pretty positive reviews from what again from the outsider looking in i'm not sure what the hardcore gamers are all saying about it but i feel like you know my cousin was in town and he came in and played a little bit on my uh ps4 and first thing he said to me was i gotta get squadrons as soon as i get home he couldn't wait um to go play it on vr uh so He's like, this is great. We all got to play it together for the first time. It was awesome. So, um, yeah, I just, I kind of feel like this is, it's a good indication that Star Wars fans will show up if you give them a good product. If you, if you, you oversell it or, you know, you're trying to, you know, uh, upsell it and say, oh, yeah, it's all this and it's not, then, yeah, we're going to be mad. And if you're going to make, you know, the up, the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The upscale or whatever Battlefront 2 did it. I forgot what the, the pay by, the pay as you would go. I don't know. I'm not a gamer as much as you guys. What is <laughs> like it called? Like the loot boxes, the pay to play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loot box, all that crap. Like that whole, um, um, the whole system was broken the moment it came out. Like, yeah, people are gonna be upset. Squadrons is a good example of like if you give us an authentic Star Wars experience and don't try to like make it super ridiculous and whatever. Like, it's gonna get pretty good reviews and you're probably going to make a good decent profit off it because people aren't yelling all about it so um yeah like i said i i wanted i want to i can't wait to play it some more yeah cool well hopefully we'll all get to play together at some point and sometime soon so i actually just have one more question for you paul regarding the vr and i'm curious of how you think it compares to the vr experience with the secrets of the empire um Mm. that we've all got to do uh, but (laughs) You're the only one who got to play Star Wars Squadrons with VR. So I'm curious if you can't even compare the two and if one feels better than the other from your experience. Well, I'm going to preface um, the Secrets of the Empire being when I was very overweight. And so it was <laughs> I was very unhealthy. And when I played Secrets of the Empire, so by the end, I almost passed out because of exhaustion. Uh, I remember. <laughs> I, 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 I literally thought I was going to pass out because it was really warm in there. And I just was not. Well, yeah, just, far, so. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I'm going to say. I mean, they're, they're 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 apples and oranges to an extent, but they're both fruit. Right. But. Mm. What I would say is, I, I I think the the PlayStation VR is at least with squad at least with the Squadron specifically is it's it's up there it's on the same I'd say level only because it it is a, such a great it's a great immersive experience in VR and the fact that I want to play it is a big deal because I'm not a fan of this kinds of games and the fact that I I've been wanting to play it. Because even even if this was uh, this was a new Battlefront three game, I can tell you right now, I might have played it a little bit more than in Squadrons, but like I'm so busy, like I I probably wouldn't have. It may I may play a little bit more. That's it. So I should tell you that Squadrons is like it's a big deal, and a big part of that is the VR. So I would say, Tim, the VR is on that level. It's not like maybe as good as immersive mm-hmm. because you're you're actually holding things and whatever, but 
it's not that far off in my opinion. It, the VR is pretty cool, and I love it. So that's that's just me though. That's good to know. That's I was what I was curious about. Um, just how if you can't even compare the two, but yeah, I'm anxious to try for myself one of these days. I'm kind of look to see because I haven't checked in a while just how much PlayStation VR costs now. <laughs> what if it's the Tim, same as when it first came out, or if it's gone down a little bit? Or yeah. Tim, I'm telling you, knowing you as well as I do, you should invest. You need to. This makes me want to probably get it even more. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, if I had a PlayStation, I'd probably get that, and the Squadrons would be a big reason for it. I mean, I've I've heard not just from you, Paul, but from a lot of other people too that people who've played this in VR that it's, you know, an incredible. Um, it, it's 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 almost excuse the pun. It's a game changer. It really is. Like I'm not I'm I, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. Like it's legit. It's a game changer. It's it will make you go. I never want to play a Star Wars game not in VR ever again. Wow. I'm going to tell you right now. But that there's there's a reason why I wanted to get Squadrons on PS4 because I wanted to see what it was like. And, you know, and I wanted because I Vader Immortals on it. I need to play that still. I haven't got that yet. But I wanted to see how legit the VR because the VR for Iron Man is is okay. It's not it's not great. It's okay squadrons is like i'm sorry night and day it's night and day squadrons is great i mean it's not perfect perfect like i'll say this the like the menus and when you're going it's like you know again it's not perfect it's a little blurry on the side so there's it's not like pristine like you're whatever you know i'm not trying to act like up you know upsell or whatever but when you're immersed when you actually are actually flying in your ship yeah, it's legit. It's you don't think about the little blurry sides or you know whatever. Like, you don't care about that because you're looking straight on and it's phenomenal. So, yeah, D- Tim, go save your money. Whatever you need to do, go get one ASAP. <laughs> Maybe I should just throw it in when I get the PS5. I have pre-ordered just that one big splur. <laughs> yeah, the PlayStation you know, VR. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it'd be a bad idea. And I, in fact, I need it. And that's that's why I'm going PS5. And I'll be sitting it. here I, all alone on my Xbox. I love you my Xbox. You will not be alone for long, Kyle, on the Xbox Series X. I promise that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not getting a Series X right at launch. I'm probably going to wait till they have a Star Wars game for it like, they, like I did with the Xbox One. So yeah. I'm in no rush to get either of them on launch day and, you know try to get in those three minute pre-order windows before they all sell out. <laughs> yeah, um, I have my pre-order and I don't even know for sure if I'm still going to get it on launch day. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, move on to some of the stuff we've got to talk about for this week. Now, luckily, I mean, I'm sure this is probably going to be a pretty long episode anyways, because it's been a while since the three of us have talked together and we've got a lot of stuff to talk about on this episode. When we found out there was a new Mandalorian trailer dropping this week, I was like, oh boy, we might have to split this up into two parts or this is going to be like a four hour episode or something because, you know, we'll spend like at least an hour just talking about the trailer. And then we saw the trailer and I was like, oh, okay, good. We probably don't actually have too much to talk about with that one. Um, you know, they kind of teased that there was a, a new sneak peek or whatever at the Mandalorian dropping during Monday Night Football this past week. It's just like a one minute long trailer. It's got some new footage in it. 
some cool stuff, but basically just kind of longer looks at things that we saw in the first trailer. So there's not really any new like locations or characters or anything like that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it kind of got me more excited, but not really any more excited than I already was just because I love the show and I know it's going to be great. And I know they tend to not really show us much in the trailers other than just enough to whet your appetite. So I don't really feel the need to go through this like shot by shot. I mean, it's just more Mando and Cara Dune and Grief Karga and Razor Crest and X-Wings and TIE Fighters. And that's about it. Um, in fact, my my only gripe with this trailer is that it seems like we're getting the return of the blue fish guy from the first episode who I thought was kind of annoying. <laughs> and he's going on about, oh, I'm yeah. molting and I need to be home for life day. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I thought Mando had frozen that guy in carbonite and we were mercifully never going to have to see from him or see him again. But here he is popping up in this prison transport ship that it looks like uh, Cara Dune and Grief Cargo are stealing. So, um I don't know. Hopefully they either write some better comedy for him or he gets splattered on their somewhere along this chase scene. But um, yeah, other than that, I mean, more cool stuff. We actually see the scene where he pulls out the uh, the whistling birds and baby Yoda closes the, the little cage around him. And then you actually see some more of that fight uh, with the whistling birds flying out and shooting the guys around the room and stuff. But um other than that, nothing like super notable to me, but was there anything that kind of stood out to you guys that you wanted to talk about? Well, I agree where when they first announced this trailer or the special look, I should say, I was expecting it to be kind of longer, or at least the same length as the first one. But when I saw that just a minute, I just went, oh, okay, so maybe I should temper my expectation as far as what they're going to show. Uh, maybe not expecting too much new footage because Right off the bat, I mean, I'm sure a lot of fans were hoping for this to be in the trailer that we get some sort of tease at the end of whether it's Ahsoka or Boba Fett, not even seeing them, but maybe hearing their voice, just some type of indication that these characters are going to be in season two. And we didn't get that, which I can understand being disappointed with that. And I probably count myself as one of those who was maybe a little disappointed that we didn't get any tease about that. And like you said, Kyle, it was kind of more of the same what we got in the first trailer. But boy, I'm still loving what I'm seeing from this footage that they're showing of these sequences that we've seen in the first trailer, but showing more of it, it just keeps looking better and better. And I can't wait to see the full chase sequence with that uh, transport with Caradine and Grief Cargo inside of the scout troopers chasing them. Uh, hopefully they don't mow down all the scout troopers <laughs> as we saw in one shot of this trailer. But that scene looks really cool. And yeah, I mean, just we're just a week as we're recording this episode, especially if you're going to watch it uh, Thursday night at midnight, <laughs> just a week away from the season two premiere. And that's why more than anything, I'm okay with this trailer or just, or just not even really disappointed with it because we are just so close to that premiere. And the less they show of us in the trailers, just the more likely we're going to be blown away by the, all the cool sequences and surprises that, are in store for us this season. Uh, we'll see how much of that is in the first episode, but <laughs> uh, just throughout the course of the season, obviously we know some big stuff are, is coming and it's just going to be that much more amazing when we see it for the first time as we're watching these episodes. So yeah, I mean, it did get me more excited, but nothing that was mind blowing. I just uh, made your mouth hit the floor or anything like that, that Star Wars trailers can tend to do more often than not. And I'm just wondering because part of me, 
might think, well, this is because it's a TV show and it's not going to have the same effect as live action or the theatrical trailers do. But um, we got some pretty darn good, amazing Clone Wars and Rebels trailers throughout the years. <laughs> so maybe I'm wondering if, I mean, obviously it's intentional that they're holding back on all the big stuff from the Mandalorian, but part of me wonders why they're not kind of following that same mold that we were used to in Clone Wars and Rebels. And is it because it is live action and they don't want to show all that stuff off? I don't know why the reasons would be for that, but I'm wondering if we'll ever get to that point where we'll get trailers for the Mandalorian upcoming seasons that are like Clone Wars and Rebels that just sometimes blow your mind with some of the stuff that they reveal. Because from all the reports we're hearing about season two, we could have easily had some shots or moments like that in a trailer for this upcoming season with some of the cool stuff that looks to be in store for us. So I don't know if it's something that'll change in future seasons or if this is kind of going to be the MO for the Mandalorian just as a series in general, that the trailers are just going to be these little teases and sneak peeks uh, just to get fans and the general audience aware that the show is coming back because we know it's such a big hit already and everyone's going to be looking forward to the second season. So maybe they feel they don't have to show everything in a trailer or try to hook you with some big reveal right away because they just know just off the success and how much everyone for the most part enjoyed the first season. They're going to be back for season two, no matter what. So um, yeah, I enjoyed it. Wasn't mind blowing, but at the same time, I was just glad to see some new footage and know that we are just so close to it and I cannot wait for the season to begin. It's just going to be great having the Mandalorian back. Mm -hmm. I know it's only a year ago, but it kind of feels like a nostalgia feeling type of way no, <laughs> where you're just thinking. Seriously. So well, just so I mean, 2020 has been five years long, so. Yeah. <laughs> that is a very good point. So <laughs> I'm sure that's what helps make you feel that way. But it's just going to be great to have new Star Wars on TV again every every week that we all enjoyed with the first live action series in the Mandalorian. So I can't wait. Yeah. I, I, it was weird because I expected more because all these, I'm sorry, Star Wars insider people are like, Oh, come here. A lot of cool stuff. And they start teasing stuff and they end up being wrong. And they kind of act like, Whoa, what happened? Whoa. And it's, it's like the second, third time in a row, these people <laughs> have done this and nothing against it. It's just like, I got to, I kind of I wanted to be a little bit more surprised and I was a little bummed out or even texting you guys. It was weak. And, uh, but then I thought about it. I was like, yeah, I think you kind of all kind of agreed like, yeah, but it's probably better. You know, when they don't need to show that much. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, they don't need to show us anything. And it's a TV show. It's like, it's going to be a new trailer probably every week, essentially at this point. Um, you could. Uh, I'm not sure they will. But yeah, Mandalorian season two looks great. It looks awesome. It's it's literally a few extra shots expanded on the last trailer, you know, trailer trailer that they released, and it was awesome. So every everything looks good. And I think the nostalgia feel is is more it's it's not just of the Mandalorian, it's just Star Wars, like classic Star Wars. It's it that's what it kind of thing it kind of is giving us is you know we have obviously you know the sequel trilogy that came out and all the other stuff and it's that definitely you know expands on a star wars but this really felt like star it really feels like and looks and sounds like old school star wars and again with the mandalorian and our love of baby yoda and all that stuff it's 
it's kind of taken a, a life of its own on top of that nostalgia. So it really has that great effect. And, and I got to say just how lucky and how happy I am that we're getting this series. And that the fact that, you know, the, with, with COVID-19 happening, we have the Mandalorian. It's as, to me, it's as good, if not better than a film having the series. I mean, I'll take both. Thank you very much. Like I, I loved getting rise of Skywalker and the and Mandalorian back to back. I was, that was an insane week. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, in fallen order. I, yeah. I mean, it was, well, yeah, it, it was, well, fallen order was like, well, fallen order and Mandalorian the, started the same week. And then yeah, like a month later, right. yeah, yeah. We had a new episode of the Mandalorian the same week that rise of Skywalker came out, but still all that coming out together was just insane. Yeah. And maybe it was nuts. It, and honestly, we may not get something like that for a long time, especially now looking at it now. So, um, yeah, it's well, going to be at least three years till the next movie comes out. So at least. So, I mean, there's there's a lot to be excited about. And, you know, yeah, Mandalorian looks great. And I'm just really grateful we're getting it. I think this is going to be a I, where I, I it's so crazy because I've been, t- you know, you know, touting tv for the future of star wars for a long time now and and i obviously couldn't predict baby yoda being a sensation and i couldn't predict covid happening obviously but it very much looks like tv is maybe the future of entertainment in general because of what's going on but i mean just just isolating star wars by itself it's a big deal and I think it's I think the Mandalorian is just showing that Star Wars might be better suited for TV series in general, potentially. So, yeah, it's it's incredible. I, mean, I think this will it'll be a lot outside of just the, watching the TV series and, and the stories and watching them unfold. I think what it does for entertainment and Star Wars in general, I'm very curious almost as much as, as almost almost as much as where the storyline is going. So. There's a lot of intrigue of, of the show in general that there's a lot you could discuss. So I can't wait to get all into it eventually this year. And yeah. And just real quick, what you were saying, Tim, about the trailers and like them not showing that much and kind of comparing it to Clone Wars. I was thinking like um, I think the difference there could be on the one hand, like for for one thing, I think because Clone Wars was on network TV, there was probably more pressure for them to like have high ratings. And I don't think Clone Wars ever did have like super high ratings. I mean, it was, it was like pretty good for an animated show. Um, but at least from what I remember, like it, it never really seemed like they were killing it. Um, especially when like, it definitely seemed like the show kind of caught a second wind when it, it when it uh, moved to Netflix for the first time after it was canceled, uh, ironically enough. But you know, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, yeah, I never gave the show a chance or, you know, I watched the first couple seasons and didn't think it was that good. And like now I'm coming back to it and it looks amazing. So I think there was kind of more of a need to draw people in, whereas obviously, like, I think The Mandalorian has been a little bit more high profile. Um, and uh, obviously the huge season was a, a huge success or the first season was a huge success and everybody knows Baby Yoda now and everything. So I think there's already that visibility and, and people are looking forward to it. And so they feel like they don't necessarily have to market it as much to draw people in. And there's not like, you know, you're not trying to get people to watch it day one on your network so that you get the advertising revenue and all that. It's like, you know, people can hear about it online and, and you know, watch it at their friend's house. You know, I, I th- there's just like, you can kind of let it be more spread out with, um, with the streaming service 
and, you know, just kind of let it grow through word of mouth and social media and all that kind of stuff. Um, but also, you know, Clone Wars, we had like 22 episode seasons. And when you'd get those like three and a half minute trailers at the beginning of a, a season, it usually had stuff from the first episode all the way to, you know, episode like 16 or 18 or like, you know, sometimes we'd get stuff that was pretty close to the end of the season. And then it, that would always be the coolest stuff that you would end up waiting all season for. And then, you know, we'd finally get it at the end. But with the Mandalorian, with the Mandalorian, you know, when you've got like an eight or nine episode season, if we had a a three or four minute trailer for a season of the Mandalorian, they'd be giving away a lot more, you know, and you'd be seeing a, a much bigger sort of chunk of the the storylines and and characters and locations and stuff for the season. So I don't mind them That's keeping true. more of the surprises. Um, and again, we've kind of been down this road with season one. I mean, season one, we went into it having seen very little from the trailers and still kind of feeling like we don't even really know what this show is. Um, and I think a lot of that was probably intentional because of the child, right? Like so much of the show revolves around that. And they obviously weren't going to give that away ahead of time. And now that we've now that we know kind of what their game is and and kind of know how that went with season one, I feel like, yeah, they haven't really shown us much for season two, just enough to whet your appetite. But it doesn't make me think that, oh, season two is not going to be that exciting or it's going to be uh just the stuff they've shown in the trailers like it's kind of the opposite like and if anything i've maybe got my hopes up too high for season two because i'm imagining all this wild stuff that they're not showing us in the trailers <laughs> so um yeah i don't know but i'm you know i'm okay with it like i said it's only a week away i don't mind waiting um i'm just you know hoping that they'll deliver the goods when it gets here yeah and right now i think it will <laughs> yeah for sure um also speaking of trailers and actually going back a second because we were talk just talking about vr games um they just released a new vr trailer today or i guess this came out yesterday for um a new star wars vr series on the uh oculus quest uh called star wars tales from the galaxy's edge um actually so and they're calling this an action adventure virtual reality experience i'm not actually sure if this is going to be episodic like vader immortal was or it's going to be all in in one thing but this comes out november 19th and it basically kind of lets you experience that world of batu and galaxy's edge but there's you know more of a story to it and you get to interact with the characters and you're like on the run from some smugglers but then it looks like you end up discovering a jedi temple and get to interact with yoda or at least maybe a, a force vision or a holocron or something of yoda um but this actually looks pretty fun and looks like one of those things where like it's probably not going to be a super compelling story with all kinds of crazy twists and turns and stuff, but it's going to be something that's just going to be a really fun, interactive, immersive experience in that VR setting. Um, and like I said, now that like they've got an upgraded version of the, the Oculus Quest that just came out this year, which is like the standalone VR headset, so you don't have to hook it up to like a powerful gaming computer. Um, it plays all the, the VR games right there in the headset. Um, so I'm hoping to get that for Christmas this year and I want to check out this and Vader Immortal. Um, and I think they've got like a Jurassic Park thing that's coming out for it sometime next year too. But, um, I don't know. I think this looks pretty fun. Yeah. I'm going to sound like a bad Star Wars fan right now and say I haven't actually checked out that trailer yet. I know, <laughs> but I'll just talk about VR that we were discussing with Squadron and Vader Immortal and how I should really look into it. I'll definitely check it out probably after we record this and maybe that will sell me even more to get a PS PlayStation VR. So I still got to check it out, but Hey, more star Wars content to get on these virtual realities experiences is, you know, only a win <laughs> and more of a sell for me to get it. So I'll have to see how it looks. 
Yeah, <clears throat> I think that with we talked about you know PlayStation VR. And I know this is the Oculus thing, but let's be real: the the future of of gaming and VR is probably going to be on the major consoles, not on Oculus. So eventually, Galaxy's Edge will be on PlayStation VR, and I will be definitely playing that ASAP. Vader Vader Immortal is it's whatever. I'm not uh, whatever. Maybe I'll regret saying that, but. For some reason, the uh, Star Tales from Galaxy's Edge just seems way more up my alley than Vader Immortal. So I'm really excited to play that game eventually. So uh, hurry up and get on PlayStation VR, Tales from Galaxy's <laughs> Edge. Well, we'll see if they eventually do. Um, and then just last thing, we got a quick little update about Star Wars The High Republic. I mean, we talked about this last time, how there was some new concept art of like some of the lightsabers and stuff. And um just uh i think this was just yesterday also they released some concept art and some info about some of the new padawan characters that are going to be in some of these stories um and so you know it looks like we've got some uh some human characters named bell zedifar uh lula talisola and wreath silas who all look pretty cool with these new jedi robe designs all i'm here for is my boy buriaga the wookie jedi <laughs> with the the broadsword lightsaber um can't wait to find out what stories he's in and uh and see what he's all about yeah the precursor to gunji i guess <laughs> yeah the precursor and yet this is like gunji all grown up that is true too but um yeah i, I kind of talked about this on our last episode but it's good to start seeing more stuff get revealed from the high republic as we get closer mm -hmm. and closer to the story coming out early next year. So yeah, getting a little bit of the novels and the comics and probably my favorite uh, bit of our bit of this uh, new concept art or not even concept art, but art that was released for these Padawans is uh, for the Jedi Bell Zetifar, if I'm probably butchering it, but that like dog creature that he has that looks like to be his pet looks really cool. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to seeing the adventures that both of them will have. It looks so, cool, but it looks like some like demon devil dog hyena kind of thing that would be more of a pet for a sith lord than a jedi yeah that's what has it has me more intrigued about it though so maybe it is kind of this creature that is just so primal and you know is one that maybe might be hard to tame but this you could be a jedi character who maybe his specialty is kind of having that connection with other life force maybe kind of similar to ezra mm. and he just forms a special connection to this creature that no one else can so it would just kind of be cool to have that dynamic so that would be interesting but just i like the design of that creature it looks really cool well i can tell you right now i, I said this on twitter because i saw everyone getting these awesome high republic uh, uh care packages with a bunch of uh the the books in, in advance for all these press people though i thought it was very interesting the uh, light of the jedi the main uh adult novel or whatever you want to call it uh it's only the uh, an excerpt uh from it not the actual whole book which is very interesting because the book's not coming out to what till january uh -huh. so yeah. which makes sense I, I get that it's way too early but the other books were in there so i thought that was very interesting um as far as i can tell they're the whole books they're because they're both thing what one's a, a very young novel and one's a kind of like a young adult novel um but anyway I'm getting hyped for this stuff. And I, I've always been really excited about the High Republic. 
I was devastated when they moved the uh, the book out from August to uh, January because I, I was expecting during COVID, like, well, at least I have this, um, you know, besides Star Wars uh, celebration that got canceled or whatever, at least we'll have the High Republic book to kind of get me excited about it. Oh, wait, no, never mind. I have to wait. You know, I'll get a Thrawn book instead. <laughs> you know, no thanks. <laughs> um, sorry. Um, so, yeah. So it's this is something I'm really getting stoked about. I love and as we get closer to it, I know we're probably going to talk a lot more about it. I think once it actually happens, we're going to talk a lot about it because to me, guys, this this is a big deal. I think this is a way bigger deal, a way bigger deal than people are letting on and what, what it is. Um, I was just watching and and we'll, I haven't finished it, but uh, there's like a, a fun little YouTube video about Shadows of the Empire. But it's an hour long and it's kind of not made, I think, from a hardcore Star Wars fan perspective but it's it's got it's really it's a very entertaining kind of little mini documentary or kind of a uh you know fan documentary whatever you want to call it this guy making a video about how shadows of the empire came to be and it's got one of those you know usual youtube like oh, what the quick cut you know quick cuts little snippet little you know being a little snippy about different things you know whatever which can get kind of all obnoxious and annoying at at this point but anyway uh the point is, is that it very much is kind of like Shadows of the Empire. They're all kind of telling a story, maybe not like all the same story, but there's all this interconnectivity between the books and the comics and, and, and the novels that hasn't been done before necessarily, where it's all kind of being cohesive. And I think that that's such an exciting thing that we're just because of the COVID and because of all the drama after Rise of Skywalker and the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, all that jazz. We, and and obviously everything that's going on in this world, we just aren't really thinking that much about the High Republic, and and they're kind of trying to get people kind of excited about it. We'll tackle this more later on, but this is a, a big deal. I think this is a big deal in Star Wars, and I I've, I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it. It's a big deal, and I'm really excited for it. I think this the success, and I think of all people like us and Star Wars fans in general enjoying this is a is. Is, is huge for Lucasfilm because of just all the monetary reasons of things for outside of the films and the TV series and the cartoons. So this is a big deal. The success of this kind of run of this, uh, this whole project, a lot could happen from this, you know, can spin off from this good and bad. So I'm, I'm really excited what that happens, but I think it's, I'm really excited about this hearing about the Jedi and the heyday. Like we always thought we we're going to get that in the prequels, but we did and we didn't, but now it's really the heyday. It's like the golden age of the Jedi. And that's really exciting, the fact that they're going to tell us that. And I think that it's safe, but there's also a lot of cool – we've already gone a lot already about what you could do with it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm really excited. The, these reveals look really cool. Um, you know, they're not – again, they're not groundbreaking, but I, I think a lot – I talk about TLC, and that's been kind of my, my go-to like, kind of theme right now is, is tender love and care. Not the group. The group is great, though. Don't look <laughs> at um, You know, stick to those rivers and lakes and you're used to. Um, and to be funny here, that's what kind of Lucasfilm could do. But, you know, but they're not. They actually are chasing a waterfall because look at these designs. They're all very different. They're not the they're not the gray 
or a gray oh god i can't these great jedi uh not the 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 traditional robes that obi-wan and everyone's going for because of that the idea of like you know we're kind of there's the common people you know kind of thing no 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 like they look like they're like kind of i don't want to say they're above everybody but there's a kind of a hierarchy yeah the, well there's like a uh sort of element of like ceremoniousness to it yeah thank you yeah yeah so and that's evident, I think, and that's purposeful of everything we've seen of the Jedi from this, uh, uh, from these, uh, this art, from these reveals, and it's really exciting because what, you know, I don't, I don't want it to be just a abrupt change. Like we can't wear gold anymore. Let's go back to that basic brown crap. You know, um, I don't want to do that necessarily, but I want to see a real. I hope there's a evolution of thinking, not just an abrupt, of uh, you know abruptness to their thinking but a casual more gradual evolution of why are we dressing so elegantly when we could be like more the common people and and be a lot more basic in a good way and and be more of an, a a show people were not that are tied to the objects and and things like that the jedi can't be uh drawn to and obsessed with or whatever so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of that I think it's purposely put into this right now that at least from the outward appearance and I hope that's I hope that's uh, purposeful and I think it is and I think there's a lot of great stories to tell from that and so yeah I, I'm I am extremely excited about reading about this and I really I really do hope that Lucasfilm the story group and the people that are involved are really trying to like not just throw this in there and go well it's not really working so let's kind of like just undermine it whatever to really i hope it has some impact not just casual ripples i want some impact on the universe in general not just a again a casual thing like the books and novels have pretty much been or books and novels comics and everything i mean the movies and tv have been the, the biggest kind of umph maybe besides jedi fallen order um, but even then, that's a very self-contained kind of story. You know, I love, I love that story in that game so much. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like the high. I hope the High Republic can be an impactful project that actually has some ramifications on the lore of Star Wars, other than just like, yeah, this happened. You know what I mean? Like, I want uh -huh. to have, some, I want to have some real oomph to it, and I, I think it will. And if it doesn't, I'll be very disappointed. Yeah, I think it will. I mean, we'll see. But I think, you know, we, we've talked about this time and again, just how I think they're really going to benefit from stepping away from the time periods of the movies and carving out this kind of patch of unexplored territory and being able to to build that up from scratch and create new protagonists, new villains, new conflicts, new stakes um, where you're not going into this and thinking like, oh, I already know what happens. Oh, this is set in between this episode and this episode. We know we're going to see this character in the next movie and whatever. So I, I'm hoping that it's going to be kind of a new, fresh perspective. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to, to checking all that out when it drops in January. Um, all right. So you guys ready to get to the, uh, the heavy stuff? Now I'm out of here. See you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, this was all your idea. Um, I know, I know. No, I think, and obviously this is not going to be like us being all 
Debbie Downer or depressed no, or whatever. No, like no. normally we just don't usually talk about stuff that kind of stirs up controversy or is, is real serious. Yeah. We just like to keep it light and fun and talk in Star Wars. But these are some things that I think need to be addressed, um, especially given just sort of the state of things and, and other stuff that's gone on this year and whatever. Um Obviously, the first thing being, so there's uh, this interview that John Boyega did with GQ magazine back in, uh, this is beginning of September. So it's been almost two months now. Um, but I uh, just wanted to kind of touch on this and and give some thoughts on it. I mean, um, the, it, by the way, for anybody that hasn't uh, read this entire interview or watched the accompanying uh, video that came out with it too, that's on YouTube, that's like a 20 minute video of this guy interviewing him. Um it's really great, just really insightful. I just love John Boyega's personality and his insight on things. Um, and and this whole article and this whole interview gives a great perspective on his life and his upbringing and him breaking into the film industry and even up to stuff like this year where he got really involved with like protests and the Black Lives Matter movement and stuff like that. Um, but obviously the thing that was making waves in the Star Wars community was it was kind of the first time that he had talked about um, his thoughts on the rise of Skywalker since it came out and sort of his direction or his, his thoughts on sort of the direction that the sequel trilogy went and his, uh, specifically like, uh, the character trajectory of Finn. And obviously he had kind of made some, some jokes on social media and gotten some people riled up and stuff, kind of poking fun at the Raylos and stuff like that, that kind of made it seem like he wasn't thrilled with, the rise of Skywalker, but this was kind of the first time that he had really given um, some serious thoughts on it. Um, but I'll just read the quote here uh, from the interviewer. He's kind of leading up to it and saying that, you know, this is the first time he's, he's really talked about uh, the rise of Skywalker since it came out. Um, and he says, uh, you know, how does he reflect on his involvement in the way the newest trilogy is concluded? And so then the quote from John, he says, it's so difficult to maneuver. He says, exhaling deeply, visibly calibrated to a level of professional dis diplomacy to display. He says, you get yourself involved in projects and you're not necessarily going to like everything. But what I would say to Disney is do not bring out a black character, market them to be much more important in the franchise than they are, and then have them push to the side. It's not good. I'll say it straight up. Um, and it says he's talking about himself here, about the character of Finn, uh, but he's also really talking about other people of color in the cast, Naomi Aki and Kelly Marie Tran and Oscar Isaac. Um, and then John says again, he says, like, you guys knew what to do with Daisy, he, uh, with Daisy Ridley. You knew what to do with Adam Driver. He says, uh, you knew what to do with these other people. But when it came to Kelly Marie Tran, when it came to John Boyega, you know, F all. Uh, so what do you want me to say? What they want me to say is I enjoyed being a part of it. It was a great experience. Nah, nah, nah. I'll take that deal when it is a great experience. They gave all the nuance to Adam Driver and all the nuance to Daisy Ridley. Uh, and let's be honest, Daisy knows this. Adam knows this. Everybody knows I'm not exposing anything. Um, and that was, uh, I mean, that's that's the gist of it. I mean, again, this that's really a small snippet of what's really a, a long interview where he touches on a lot of stuff but um i thought that was a pretty interesting perspective on it um and i think it's certainly i mean obviously like it's valid right like i mean you look at the character arcs of finn and especially rose who got like two minutes of screen time in rise of skywalker um and as, but especially like you know coming into it as a young actor and being super excited to have you know a leading role in the new star wars movie and and let's be honest like for the promotional material for the force awakens finn really was kind of 
pushed to be you know, they made it look like he might be the main character of the trilogy. Now, those of us that were following the rumors and stuff knew that it was probably going to end up being Rey, especially once we saw like the leaked concept art of her having the lightsaber and fighting Kylo Ren and stuff like that. Um, but I can certainly see how, and I don't know that, I don't know if John ever really did feel kind of like deceived by this himself, or if he's just talking about the way they marketed it to uh, the general audience. But like, for example, Finn, uh, is the only character that we ever see wielding a lightsaber in the trailers. And I know a lot of people were going into it thinking that Finn was going to be the new Jedi character. And I wasn't necessarily surprised like when Rey got the lightsaber. Again, just because of all the rumors and stuff and the leaked concept art we had seen, like I kind of saw that twist coming, but I know a lot of people were shocked by it and had no idea that she was going to end up being the one that was like the main Jedi character. Um, and so I can see, I certainly see his frustrations there. I also think... Just and uh, to be honest, like my perspective, looking at this from a black man as well, like I see, you know, when he says like, oh, you knew what to do with Adam and you knew what to do with Daisy, but not with all these other people who were, were people of color. I don't necessarily think that's just because they were people of color. I don't think it's like, oh, they had a black character and an Asian character and they got swept to the side because they didn't know what to do with the minority characters, but they knew what to do with the white characters because it also just so happens like uh ray and kylo are the two main characters of this trilogy like those are the two characters that you can't mess up or the two that need to have the most nuance and that need the most character development and so i don't like i don't know i don't sit back and get angry thinking like oh man they should they didn't give finn as good of a character arc as they did with ray or kylo ren because of course they didn't just like I mean, let's be honest, as much as like Han and Leia are are fantastic characters in the original trilogy, I would say that they probably aren't as fleshed out and don't have as good of like character arcs as Luke and Vader do, especially Luke. I mean, you know, it, it's just like you, you sort of expect those things when you have a, a main character and you know that that's going to be the one that the story kind of revolves around. Um, and so I don't even necessarily like... See, I wouldn't say I disagree with him, but I don't necessarily see it the same way that he does. But, like, he's the one there on set acting out this character and, like, living this experience, right? And so I think it's 100% valid. And I just remember the day that this dropped, it kicked up this firestorm of debate. And there were so many people siding with him and saying, like, yeah, he's 100% right. And Disney had no idea what they were doing and should have treated the, the cast members who were people of color better. And then there were people saying, no, he's completely wrong because I don't see it that way because I don't think they're racist because i liked finn's character and so you know he didn't you know it, i just think it was way too polarized and people were almost like reading too much into it whereas i just think it's interesting to hear his perspective on it and i think there is a lot that can be learned for from it because you know regardless of your take just specifically on these movies with with finn or, or his particular performance or whatever it is sort of indicative of a bigger problem within hollywood um, where people who play, or, you know, actors and, and people who are, are people of color, like, do get lesser roles or, or get pushed to the side. I mean, growing up in my house, it was always a joke. Like, we'd watch action movies, and the black guy was always the first guy to die. Like, we'd always say, oh, of course, the brother gets it. Like, it happens all the time. Um, and so it is something that you see, uh, you know, in in just the industry and entertainment in general. And so I, I think his again, these points that are, that he's making are valid, should be considered and taken into uh, account, um, you know, by, by people making 
Star Wars stories and, and movies and stuff moving forward. But that doesn't mean that he's 100% right or 100% wrong or um, that everybody has to has to agree on everything. I just think it's good to to listen and take in other people's perspectives and try to learn something from this. So that's my take on it. Yeah, and when I, because I read the quotes from it at first, and I watched the whole interview. The more than anything, it kind of just bums me out that John Boyega just had didn't have the great experience that being involved with the new Star Wars trilogy should have. Like uh-huh. anyone who's involved, and he's not the only one, of course. As we know, there are actors who played characters and kind of wasn't the best experience for them. But just knowing how excited it was and how all into it. He was just as a fan being in Star Wars during those early Force Awakens days, doing the press junkets and just even having some fun videos when uh, Force Friday first happened, just having fun with the fans. And now it kind of got to this point, which just kind of bums me out where it just wasn't the great experience as it should have been. But I totally get where he's coming from. I mean, it sucks that he had to go through that, even because another quote that stood out for me during that interview um and I'm probably going to save it word for word, more paraphrasing here. But the fact how he says that no one else in the cast had to go through what, we, what he had to go through with the criticisms and the racism and death threats that he got mm-hmm. just because of being a black man who was a stormtrooper, which is the most ridiculous thing that you can imagine. And yeah. Like, I mean, I, I remember us talking about that when that yeah, happened, like just, when, when he got cast. And first of all, if there, cause there were some people that just didn't like it, you know, that of course were just, you know, being racist and nasty, but there were people that were being like, Oh, you can't have a black stormtrooper cause they're all clones of Django fit. Yeah, like, it's like trying to sound smart. Come as on. Fan, but yeah. <laughs> making themselves look even more foolish. Exactly. So just, you know, right out the get go where he said like, he was the only one out of the new cast that had to deal with that. And it, probably never really went away over the course of the next two movies of always probably getting remarks from on online trolls. And I don't even want to call them fans. I'd say that. Yeah. And I just love how he's responding to those type of people now where he just doesn't care. He's done with the movies and he's just putting those type of fans or like, again, I don't even want to call them fans, but even those people in their place when they still try to give them a hard time about stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it's unfortunate, but, at the same time, too, I don't. He didn't come across as where he's not appreciative or where he does, where he regrets being in Star Wars. Like, because I think he even said where, you know, he appreciates how where it brought him to where he is now as an actor, and he wouldn't have that without being in Star being in Star Wars, and just also would join with the people he's worked with. But at the same time, it's just more of indicative of what kind of what we always say about the sequel trilogy where regards in regards to where it took certain characters where it just wasn't planned out from the get-go mm-hmm. and they're just making it up as each movie went along and i'm sure with finn as was one of many where the direction changed and in his mind and i know a lot of other fans minds not for the better was where it ended up but i do agree with what you were saying before kyle where like the only real thing we're I don't agree with him on is how he was making the point where they knew they knew what to do with Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. And that's just because they're the main characters of the trilogy. Right. So that just goes in general with no matter what type of Star Wars trilogy you're telling, there's going to be your focus characters who are going to carry you through and are going to get the more attention as the story progresses. But I could definitely understand if you're being disappointed with the direction Finn 
ended up being in The Last Jedi and in Rise of Skywalker, coming off of what was built and kind of laid the groundwork in The Force Awakens. So, yeah, it was definitely uh, kind of a telling interview and just not holding back <laughs> John Boyega. And I applaud him for that. And he doesn't feel um, he needs to hold back his true feelings and he's going to say how he feels. And uh, I appreciate that um, from someone who is a fan of him as just not only as in Star Wars, but just as, as a person, as we've seen some of uh, the great stuff that he's done um, in the communities and just seem being like a really cool guy. Like I said, those weird, <laughs> those early force awakens uh, press junket days and just him having a good time and with fans and just interacting with different ones. It was just great. So yeah, I applaud John for Boyega for, uh, what he says there and not holding back, but definitely some that makes you think um, when you just consider everything that went down with just the sequel trilogy as a whole. And again, just going back to that whole thing of uh, just, just the story of the sequel trilogy and the making of it is just fascinating in itself. And this <laughs> seems like we're going to keep getting more uh, insights into all that from the different people who are involved with it. I'm sure this won't be the last time uh, we hear stuff like this. So um, yeah, but definitely something that made you think when uh, you read it. There's a lot. I mean, there's a whole podcast series in just what I think what John is talking about, to be quite <laughs> honest. And it's it's very heavy. And, I, and, we, and obviously there's other stuff. And be, me being the the most basic, basic of people ever of the, you know, white dude with blonde hair and blue eyes. I mean, I have no I'll never understand just because and not because I don't want to, it's because I just, I'm not in that situation of, of being in John's situation or even your situation, Kyle. And just, and I, and I always feel a lot of shame for that, you know? And because it's like, just, you know what I mean? Like, I just feel terrible that people have to go through these, these things and have to feel this way. And there's people being marginalized and, and being typecast and for years. And, and that's why representation is so important. And, these are all really important issues, and I don't. I will never undermine any of those things that John is talking about. And I think I, there's obviously a lot of frustration that he's feeling that's been pent up. I think besides obviously just Star Wars, because of this last year, John's been very vocal and very upfront about his beliefs, and he kind of he doesn't care anymore about what his quote unquote image is as far as selling, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's not on star Wars anymore and he doesn't have to play nice necessarily, or be, you know, be kind of safe. That's probably a better way to say it. Right. Is safe uh, with what he says. Um, and you could tell with even the rise of Skywalker before all of this kind of went down that his frustration level was already there. And it definitely, and let's be real. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to be probably a lot of people gonna roll their eyes here, but let's be real. It started with the last Jedi and, you know, and I'm not saying JJ made it better necessarily though. I like Finn a lot more, a lot more in rise of Skywalker than in last Jedi. Um, you know, it started with that. And, you know, I, and I know JJ and him have a great or a pretty good relationship, even after the comments today that he talked about how he really liked Colin Trevorrow's idea for Finn and everything. I think I think if you talk to you know John Buega, sit down with him, he probably would say, yeah, JJ, you know, I think he even said that in the past. Like JJ had a lot to, to, you know, kind of to go with. He didn't have much to work with. I think he actually said that in. Uh, it might be somewhere else in this article because I remember that does, was an, yeah. another aspect to this as well. He he did kind of. Um, I don't, rem I don't remember if he if he specifically threw shade at Ryan Johnson, but 
I remember him basically insinuating that he wasn't thrilled with basically that this all started, you know, Finn's role in episode eight. And then he mm-hmm. said, you know, and, and before everybody just dog piles on JJ, um, you know, that's my boy. And, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. and, and just, and now obviously he's kind of sticking up for someone that he sees as a friend, but also he said like, Hey, I just want to make sure people realize like JJ had a lot on his, basically was kind of dealt a bad hand. You know, he exactly. came in, he came in late in the game, was taken over for Trevorrow who got fired. Um, and so not necessarily like absolving JJ of all sort of wrongdoing in this, but just kind of saying like, hey, just because I've made comments about how, you know, I wasn't thrilled with the Rise of Skywalker or whatever, like there's only so much JJ could do. You know, it's like things had already been built up to a certain point. Um, and the story was at a certain point after Last Jedi that like you know, he's basically just trying to not not straight up defend him, but say like, hey, ease off a little bit. Like the guy had a hard job to do. And I, I recognize that. So, yeah, no. And, and, and that's the thing is for me is it's. I totally get where his frustration was. And to be honest, I was surprised when the movie came out, there wasn't more rumbling. Well, to be honest, I'm a little, I'm not, I shouldn't be as surprised because when Ryan Johnson was getting attacked by a lot of people online about, you know, Luke and all that jazz and all that crap, I'm not to bring that up, but you know, JJ or, you know, or, um, you know, John Boyga didn't necessarily stick up for anybody during that whole thing. And, to be honest, it felt like a lot of people weren't necessarily like being like, oh, yeah, we support like this completely. After after the movie came out, you know, it was just kind of, oh, yeah, this is what they wanted to do. <laughs> Don't be racist. And, and that's kind of what, you know, a lot, that's a lot of people were getting upset about, obviously, when the, the Kelly, uh, Kelly Marie Tran stuff happened and people were being awful. And then she left social media and all that stuff. But before the the racist overtones happened, it didn't seem like John was necessarily super happy. At least, at least from like my perspective, you know, looking back on it, like he didn't really say much about the Last Jedi. And I remember going to celebration, and you could kind of tell how like he kind of made a couple weird comments. I, I if I remember correctly, that I kind of thought was, huh, like, like it wasn't like an obvious thing, but it definitely wasn't like a you know, a, a puff piece. You get what I'm saying? Like he, uh-huh. he was a little, you could just tell that he was a very happy, he's a little bit happier with what he had, um, in, in comparison with, uh, with this. So I don't know. I, I, I totally get it. I, I, I was, you know, all my frustrations with the last Jedi aside, I, I couldn't believe that's the one thing I, I, I think most people, even you, Kyle, who really who thinks last Jedi is the, the best, Star Wars movie ever made. I'm just kidding. I'm no, just I think kidding. it's the I'm best of the sequel kidding. trilogy, but don't I you know, dare put I it know. ahead of Return of the uh, Jedi. I know. I'm just kidding. I'm just. I'm just giving you a hard time. No, I. I think you would. You would even agree, or you'd agree then and now and, and whatever that that probably is one of the biggest mistakes of that film is is the mishandling of Finn, and it just. I remember just. I remember just being baffled, being like, how did they just do, how did Ryan do that to Finn? You know, cause he does, he, you know, and I think that's, it's so crazy. He points that out specifically, like he gets kind of stuck mm-hmm. where everyone else gets to have like awesome, like things happening to them. And yeah. it's like, I mean, heck, yeah. even to the end of that movie, like, and I, not to get back into the whole last Jedi debate, because I do really appreciate that movie. There's a lot that I love about it, but I still have my issues with it too. And I still hate the part at the end where 
you know, Rose crashes into Finn as he, as he's trying to to take out the cannon, and then is like, "That's how we're gonna win by saving what we love, not fighting what we hate or whatever." Like, because I remember seeing that in the theater, seeing Finn flying down that beam of the the destroyer thing, thinking, you know, at at the beginning of the movie, he's not really sure about his his loyalties or you know his his sort of purpose. Um, he's become really connected to Ray, and that's sort of his whole purpose in the movie is he just wants Ray back. And he's there with the resistance, but he's not even sure if you know he wants to stick around or if this is really a cause he believes in. Like he got into this because of Ray and and she's the the main anchor. She's the thing he really cares about. And he's willing to ditch the resistance and and just go after her. And that's why Rose zaps him and everything. And so to go from that to the end of the movie where he's committed enough to his friends and to the cause of the resistance that he's willing to die for it to take out, you know, this this cannon from the First Order. Like, I remember sitting there in the theater and I was like, oh, dang, they're not really going to kill off Finn right here, are they? But then I was like, man, I might be okay with that, though, because that actually would be a pretty powerful conclusion mm-hmm. for his character not that i wanted it to happen i didn't want oh, yeah, them to yeah, kill yeah. off in by any stretch but i just remember sitting there thinking like oh man i'm gonna be really sad if this happens but it would make sense and then rose comes out of nowhere crashes into him does her kamikaze thing makes it sound like she's doing the right thing whereas she would have gotten them all killed if luke hadn't showed up and she had no idea that luke was about to show up so yeah ugh, i but yeah that's that's one of my gripes with that movie but um yeah, so uh, yeah. My, my point there is to even give him a moment that felt like a, mm-hmm. a sort of sudden and shocking but also fitting emotional conclusion and then pull the rug out from under that too was was kind of messed up. Yeah, and I think – and that to me was such – again, I, I everyone knows I love Rise of Skywalker. That's like my favorite Disney movie of the Star Wars films. And God, I've been talking – I've been thinking about it a lot lately actually because of everything. There's been a lot of like anti – Draw stuff popping up in my timeline recently, and I'm just been like, where did this come from? You're not like, the only been... one who's noticed that. Yeah, I feel like it's, people are like... it's never left mine. Well, and it's I mean... not because I intentionally follow people who don't like it. Like I don't like that movie, and there are people that I see that I'm like, oh gosh, guys, give it a rest. Well, it, it's the same same thing with TLJ, right? Like it was like, I mean, it's it's a, they're, they're, to me like they're kind of the the same side of the same thing of the same coin or whatever, same different sides of the same coin. That's what I'm trying to say. It's that they're, they're to me, like they're equal amount hated and loved by different people. Mm -hmm. And they're just, you know, whatever. And everyone just loves to throw shade at at these things. And now that Tross is like the, the more recent of the two, it feels like those people who had to defend last Jedi are are now doing exactly the people like, like me who are doing against the, the, you know, whatever. And those same people are like, oh, let's go. Like, Ugh. And then I, I, I've just been simply like, or not. And just kind of being cute about it. I'd be a little, little bit of a smart ass about it. But then, and then one person like blocked me. I'm like, you're the one who's like posting all these like super negative, like kind of nasty things. And then like, I make a like, or, you know, little comment like, oh, actually it's the best one. And then it's like block. And it's like, oh, <laughs> that's fine. I mean, hey. You know, you put it out there, not me. I mean, like that's the thing. I don't, I don't like blocking people because I feel like it's, it's whatever. If you're online, you have a, you have a thin skin. You got, I mean, and no one, everyone's, you know, not gonna have good days. But, but anyway, it's been weird seeing a lot of negative stuff, and I'm just like, man, I love this movie. And I was thinking about just Finn in general, and it's like, it sucks because. 
again, going back to what John Boyega said, JJ had a lot going on. Like he inherited, like he had little time to get everything together. And he tried to give Finn, I think as much as he could to make that movie work, his, his story work. And I still think Finn's pretty cool in the, the movie still. I, I don't, I wish he did a little bit more, but again, given what, what they had, it should have been the second movie in my opinion, not, not the third, but that again, that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. Because the whole thing of him being force sensitive was they didn't straight out tell you, or I guess the big questions that from like some of the casual people I saw it with was kind of wondering. So what was the whole thing with Finn? Like, what was the secret? And so you had to explain it to him like, Oh, okay. So it was like, yeah, that's put, that's a cool concept to put in there for, I know a lot of people enjoyed, but, you didn't really go full blown with it to have it feel like a an arc that the character went through. Yeah, it almost felt like Skywalker. it almost felt like something that was tacked on as an afterthought, either to potentially set up future stories or just to give Finn like to to feel like they did more with the character of Finn to be like, yeah. oh yeah. look, we yeah. made him force sensitive, even though it had no impact on the story. Yeah, no, no, I I, I totally agree, and I think that. It just, I, but I think what John is saying is just kind of brings more light to what actors like him and in, in, in minorities in general, when they go into these big things, these big budget films, what they're kind of, you know, given basically. And, and I'm not, and I'm not saying Ryan Johnson's racist or, or whatever, but it, it just, again, well, no, and just, exactly. It, that's why I'm saying like, it's not, it's not even a matter of right or wrong. It's just a matter of his perspective and his experience yeah. and something that a lot of other actors of color have felt the same way. And so it's just, you know, um, and certainly like, I mean, like you pointed out, Tim, the fact that, you know, he got death threats and stuff and he was the only one of the cast, at least with force awakens. Cause I know Kelly, Kelly Marie Tran also went through a lot of crap with last Jedi, but that even was mostly after the fact, like there were a lot of people who saw the last Jedi hated the movie, hated her character in particular, and so sort of directed all their negativity at her, which was also just wrong and disgusting, and and I feel bad for her for everything she went through, but, like, it wasn't like as soon as she was cast, people were jumping down her throat and going, oh, an Asian woman in Star Wars, get her out of here, but, like, when John Boyega was announced, and when we saw him in that first teaser trailer, people were like, oh, black stormtrooper, and were losing their freaking minds before they even, you know, saw the movie and gave it a chance, so... yeah. I certainly, you know, hear hear what he's getting at, getting at with that. And like I said, that's why it doesn't matter if you agree with him on particularly the character of Finn. Like he's talking about bigger yeah. issues here. So, yeah. And yeah, and exactly. And I think that there is a lot. He brings up a lot of good points, obviously great points that we, we just need to be more aware of. And I mean, and, you know, I feel like it's like it's just a no brainer at this point, but maybe it bears re-emphasizing from everyone you know whether you're you're a person of color or not right you just gotta like reinforce like hey everyone like people have been like you know these people have been been relegated to you know smaller roles or whatever and it's been going on for a long time and it keeps happening even though we're aware and we're just kind of we got to be aware of this more aware and understanding of like, maybe we shouldn't do this or maybe we should do this a little bit differently. Again, just when you, when you're put in a situation, just look at it from a, a more broader perspective of that. And that's something that's, I think it's hard to do. It's definitely changing for the better. It just takes a while. So I think John is just frustrated and he's bringing that up, but yeah, that I think he brings up great points and that's something that I think star Wars 
in every in every any movie of science like any big budget film that needs to really look at themselves and say we need to really do a better job of that so yeah great stuff yeah for sure um oh and then just one other thing i wanted to mention on him and you kind of touched on this paul there was another interview today with like yahoo entertainment um where somebody was interviewing him and asking uh, again they brought up finn and they mentioned uh, the Colin Trevorrow script that, you know, a lot of people have read or are at least aware of by now. Um, and the way that that movie has kind of a bigger role for Finn and a different trajectory where it does end up with him, like, leading this revolution of liberated stormtroopers. Um, and John Boyega said, like, oh, man, I I totally would have been down for that. Like, that sounds really cool. Um not to say that he's endorsing the Trevorrow script entirely. Um, you know, he, he doesn't talk about it, you know, wholesale. I know we were talking about this before, and obviously we all read this together um, and we're not big fans of it. Um, but he definitely had some good ideas in there that I would have liked to see on screen, like Ray with a double-bladed lightsaber and an outfit that doesn't look like she just washed her outfit from The Force Awakens. Um <sighs> <laughs> but also like i do like that idea of um of finn and i mean they kind of touch on this in rise of skywalker right with janna and and the other storm like her other group of stormtrooper defectors and finn ends up kind of leading that group into battle but um obviously trevorrow's script duel of the fates uh had a lot more of like Finn kind of having personal moments and actually convincing some of those troopers to change their minds and then ends up, you know, they end up sort of switching sides in the final battle and everything. Um, but it was, I mean, it was just co kind of cool to hear him talk about that. I think that in particular would have been a, a cooler kind of character arc um, for his character, maybe even not particular, like not exactly the way Trevorrow wrote it, but just sort of some of those ideas I think were really good. But it was also kind of cool to hear him just, talk about star wars and be excited again especially because like you read this gq article and again he's not being totally negative about it but um you realize i mean as huge fans of stuff like we love it and we want the people involved to love it too right um i mean as as, yeah. as much as i love the last jedi it breaks my heart watching the documentary and seeing how disappointed mark hamill was with it um <sighs> understatement yeah, no, no, no. Like, but for real, the there's a there's yeah, a know, moment in where he's and I'm not, I'm not talking about him just sort of grumbling about it or like disagreeing with Ryan Johnson. But there, there's a moment in that documentary where uh, he's filming the scene where he's like got his hand on R2 and he's watching his Jedi Temple burn. And like Mark Hamill actually breaks down in tears. And it's like you almost see him like mourning the death of sort of his vision of what Luke Skywalker could have been. And it's I mean, it. it makes me super depressed and it's like man i i as much as i do appreciate sort of what they did with his character in the movie in in certain regards i almost just wish that they made a version of it that he liked um but anyway yeah. so so john boyega in this article it's like and it's just a bummer to hear that it wasn't everything that he was hoping that it would be and that at least part of the experience was was negative for him or was disappointing or um you know stuff like that but so just to hear him get excited about star Wars again was cool. And he talked about how he's a big fan of the Mandalorian. And so maybe would like to see a, uh, a Finn TV series or something like that, or see that's 
the story continue on TV. Um, and then he also, they even kind of floated the idea of like, well, would you want to come back and do animation? And he was like, oh yeah, that would be dope. Like, cause I could just do it from home and you don't have to be on set. And, you know, again, he's talking about how he's a fan of the way they're doing Star Wars on TV now. So, um, I mean, I, Paul, I thought you'd be excited about that. Cause I know how much you want them to continue, you know, Ray and Finn and Poe in a, an animated series, but it was kind of nice to hear him just be, um, excited about star wars ideas again now yeah. obviously he's not like signing on to anything this was all just kind of shooting the breeze but it was kind of nice yeah totally and then kind of moving on to the other part of this um and i probably won't have as much to say on this one but this was another one that kicked up a, a firestorm so daisy ridley was on i guess it was on jimmy kimmel live but she was being interviewed by josh gad so i don't know if he was i guess he was a guest host for an episode or something like that so he's talking to Daisy Ridley. This is, of course, during COVID, and they're, she's doing it via Zoom or whatever. Um, but he asks her about Star Wars and about Rey's lineage um, and whether it was always planned that she was going to be a Palpatine. And she talked about how it was always changing. And like back in the days of The Force Awakens, they were floating out all these different ideas and that maybe like at one point there was going to be an Obi-Wan connection. Um, and then she said, you know, and then in Last Jedi, like she really was going to just be no one. And then with Rise of Skywalker, JJ pitched her on the Palpatine idea. But even then, like, they weren't 100% sure on it, and it was, you know, still kind of changing. Like, while they were filming the movie, they weren't 100% sure if they were going to stick with that or not, and so that was kind of going back and forth. Um, and so it just kind of, you know, the people that don't like uh, Rise of Skywalker or the sequel trilogy in general were just like, yeah, see, look, this proves they had no idea what they were doing, and it's like, well, we kind of already knew that. Like, just the fact that they... that. Yeah. J.J. Abrams had his ideas in The Force Awakens, and clearly Ryan Johnson was doing his own thing in The Last Jedi, and then J.J. coming back with Rise of Skywalker, like, there's an obvious lack of cohesion in the sequel trilogy, and you don't need this interview to, I mean, it certainly reinforces it, but it, this is not to me like exposing anything that we didn't already know um it is interesting to hear that they they were at least toying with her being obi-wan's granddaughter at some point because that also was obviously a, a big rumor that was floating around um you know back in the the force awakens days and so um yeah i don't know i mean to me, it's disappointing just in the sense that I wish they did have a, a more clear plan for the sequel trilogy from the beginning, but I already felt that way before this. So this was nothing really groundbreaking for me, um, aside from just hearing a little bit more interesting backstory from Daisy on, on some of the ideas that they were just kicking around. And keep and keep going. Talk about the Kathleen Kennedy thing. We can kind of lump this all together. Well, okay, yeah. So then there was also an interview that Kathleen Kennedy did, um, and this was back in this was like August or September, and this was with uh, therap.com. Um, but basically, her her little blurb was she's talking about you know how they're proceeding with Star Wars after the Rise of Skywalker. And she says, the stories that have been told with, within this universe over the last 40-odd years, and there's now the realization that this is a mythology that actually spans about 25,000 years, when you really start to look at all the different stories that have been told, whether it's in the books, in the games. Um, she says, we just need the time to step back and really absorb what George has created, and then start to think about where things might go. Uh, that's what we've been doing, and we've been having a great deal of fun doing it, and meeting lots of different filmmakers and talent. And so... 
again, with this, I think this was kind of taken out of context a little bit. I, I don't think she expressed herself very well here because this was kind of like a lot of people were like, oh my gosh, Disney's own Lucas, his own Lucasfilm since 2012. And like, they're just now realizing that there's other stories outside of the, the Skywalker saga and, you know, the old Republic and all that. But it was like a couple of years ago when Kathleen Kennedy gave that interview and said that they were thinking about doing some type of story in the old Republic. So like, they're obviously aware of some of that lore and that outside material. I mean, she's friends with Dave Filoni. Like, Dave could tell you a bunch of that stuff, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's talked about that probably in the first five minutes that they met. So um, I I do think, I don't know, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, Kathleen Kennedy has no idea what she's doing because she didn't know there were all these stories until just now. Um, to me, I think it's interesting that, they are now starting to look outside of the trilogy and maybe looking at this whole timeline and expanded universe and everything and thinking about where they want to go with it. And maybe we will finally get to see some old Republic stories and, and stuff like that. But I think both of these things in conjunction really just kind of, again, brought up this debate of Disney doesn't know what they're doing and they had no direction for the sequel trilogy and they're mishandling star Wars and, and all that kind of stuff. So that was just kind of the, um, I mean, not necessarily our take on it, but just the, the sort of general, atmosphere that we wanted to sort of address and give our thoughts on so um well I, sorry Kyle, i didn't interrupt no no, no i i'm pretty much done I, I was gonna kick it over to you guys to, to chime oh. in like i said i i've pretty much had my say on it i think yes obviously they didn't know and they're not gonna know everything they're doing anyways like plans for movies are gonna change along yeah. the course of the thing anyways i mean that's what happened with george like he didn't have everything planned out to a t from the beginning either i would like to see disney have it a little more together with the next trilogy or series or whatever they're gonna do um but these two things to me are not like complete damning evidence that disney has absolutely no idea what they're doing and they're driving star wars into the ground and blah 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 um but i would like to see them a bit more organized and uh and have a bit more of a clear plan going forward yeah well, and I've always said that there, my thing with the sequel trilogy, see Kathleen's comments and, and Daisy's comments to me are, they're two separate issues. And the one with Daisy, like, yeah, we get it. We already knew that, like from like the last Jedi, pretty much. It's it's very evident that Ryan took it somewhere that he wanted to take it completely. And he was given that freedom by Kathleen Kennedy. And Kathleen was trying to evoke creative freedom because George had creative freedom. And I get that. Like, I want to address that first. And I, though I don't like where Ryan Johnson took it, um, I don't think he was a good fit. I will always say that. I will, I will die on, I will, I hate to use this term, but I will say it, I will die on that hill. I'll and make I will, sure you I, do. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> um, no, but, but that being said, I respect the fact that she wanted to evoke the creative freedom that George craved and wanted for Star Wars. And she felt that that was the best thing for Star Wars. And I think looking at it from that perspective, and, and again, this is where I think these two are connected because it's about Kathleen Kennedy. And I don't, and I'm not a Kathleen Kennedy hater by any means. And I think, I think people who know me from my podcast and everything know that like, it's not me at all. I'm definitely can be critical of her. I think she's made some big mistakes, but she's also made some big, deci great decisions too. So it's just kind of like, it's like anyone in these big, in these power chairs, you know, or they're, they're making big decisions for these properties that I love. There's going to be hits and misses. I mean, let's be real. I mean, even though I'm, Kevin Feige is not perfect, he's 
he makes a lot of the most. He mostly makes the right decisions. It's incredible, and he he's more of the exception than the rule. So the I would say that the the rule is more like I think people like Kathleen Kennedy. They're going to be lots of great things that she that she will do, and people will do, and there's a lot of some bad decisions that people will do and she's done. And, and that's not saying she's awful. It's just saying that she's human and she makes mistakes. And then when you're making these mistakes in such a, you know, such an obvious way, sometimes people overlook the, the massive successes you have. So with Kathleen Kennedy, and I think with, with everyone, JJ, I'll just say JJ and, and Ryan Johnson and Colin Gervaro too. She tried to give everyone their freedom within a big massive budget thing and i think that was a very commendable and really honest way of doing things because again that's what george did now here's the big thing and i think tim you can really back we've talked a lot about this i think a little bit or a little bit a lot a lot a little but we've talked about this i know a number of times and i've argued this on people because people always say to me you know about the ray rando thing i don't like that because it doesn't doesn't seem to mesh at all with what JJ was doing. They go, well, George did it in episode and uh, Empire Strikes Back. It's the same thing. I'm like, no, it's completely different. And part of it also is, is that Star Wars was just starting out at that point, right? George was still trying to figure out Star Wars at that point. So Star Wars was still being developed in his mind, basically, when he made Empire Strikes Back. So making a big decision like that, it's a little bit different compared to where you've already had this established lore. Now, with George, as he as he developed his story, as he developed Star Wars and his companies in the 80s, and this is where a lot of my research is done, and I, and I say research, I'm not just saying that. I have listened, read, watched, done a lot of George Lucas interviews, books, all that stuff. And I can tell you right now, George was so all over the place in the 80s that he was just kind of like, yeah, that's good, that's good. And that's why he had co-writers, why he had people coming in, like Lee Brackett and Lawrence Kazan coming in and, and, and like basically him telling them, here's what I want to have happen, go. And they go and do it. And they would they definitely would collaborate and he would definitely listen to them. In the end, here's the thing. George would say, this is what I want. I want this to happen and it's going to happen. They go, okay. And, but again, if you read those making of books or whatever, and, and you look, you do your research, you see that George is the definitive, he's the answer. And when you have one person making decisions, yes, there's, there's always whoever is in charge, no matter how organized they are, there's going to be deviations. If anyone's been involved in any creative output of anything, whether it be writing of music, whether it be writing of stories of if you're drawing painting, when you work on something, it's not always going to go completely from, even if you map it out completely what you want to do, if you're being creatively honest with yourself, there's going to be fluctuations with whatever you do. Tim, am I speaking like from your creative person, you play music. This isn't from the music standpoint. I'm not wrong. Correct. Like, oh, definitely not. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> things always are going to change. So you want to add even after the fact, well, I mean, George Lucas attested to that too. Even when you think you're done with something, you still want to go back and yeah, change right. and tinker with certain things. Yeah. And Ginsburg, the, um, 
the great I mean, people who may not know who Ginsburg is. Uh, Allen Ginsburg, he is a, a famous poet in his uh, famous poem "How." He was always making changes to it, and granted, there's a whole debate about that. But my point is, there is a definitive vision, and even in the definitive visions, things will fluctuate and things like that. So you're always going to have you know, 180s and things like that. But the one difference is when they're coming from one person, they tend to be pretty, you know, consistent for the most most part. And you would say the prequel trilogy was, was such a deviation, and but that was all purposeful from George, et cetera, et cetera. But if you look at it right now from one person who has kind of evolved the prequel to the original trilogy and all that stuff, it does make some sense. And at least from a, that standpoint of one person having a definitive vision, and it's at least cohesive. And I think the problem is, is that Kathleen Kennedy, God bless her, is an amazing producer. She's not a creative force. And that is the ultimate problem with a lot, a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of people in marketing. There's a lot of problems in all of that with what we love about what other major, uh, I'd say, a project with that's filled with commerce like we like we have now with Star Wars or Marvel or DC or whatever is the people that are in charge that have the money that will, are in charge of making in these or finalizing these things is that they aren't the creative process and because they're not a part of the creative process they're not creative people they don't really understand and comprehend like oh like you you know you can't just make things in a in a in a, in a room full of people and say oh this is what it's going to happen right like or, or whatever you have to have or you can't just be you can't just say to yourself here is you know a, a massive group of people and then you know whatever and you keep changing from one person to the next it's you got to have some consistency and with consistency you would think that even with with a, a star wars you would have some kind of like major story which i always said and i remember telling uh tim and all you guys maybe on the shows or whatever podcasts or casual conversation i always said there had to be like a, at least a paragraph of what needed to happen and it didn't even seem like that was the case with this and it's just amazing to me that someone like kathleen kennedy would just kind of miss the mark as much as she did on the sequel trilogy. She made she she hit nailed the head on nailed the hit uh, the nail on the head with the Mandalorian with Rogue One and I think with Solo the Star Wars story as far as her making her decisions with putting Ron Howard in and saving that movie and really did I love that movie to death and she's made a lot of good decisions in that way. The sequel trilogy is such a it's so crazy that she she thought she was doing the right thing by having these loose ideas and let everyone having these creative you know whatever like you know i'm being the true artiste but they, at this point george had already established everything so much it's like you need to have some consistency because george was the one consistent thing and now you took that away and you pretty much pissed him off to where he's never coming back you're by yourself and it's amazing that she gave both jj and ryan johnson full carte blanche and being like here you go make your movies and it's just like well i i think one thing that also kind of shot them in the foot is on the one hand it does seem like she gave them too much just freedom like hey go for it do whatever you want but at the at the same time i think there's also an almost an element of like overthinking it and trying to make it too perfect because if you think about it with force awakens they brought in michael arndt who was supposed to write the script and they spent like what a year two years 
mm-hmm. basically, you know, having a think tank with like him and Lawrence Kasdan and JJ Abrams and all these people. And it like, it wasn't working. And so he left the project and it was like, well, shoot, like the movie's supposed to be coming out next year or the year, you know? And, and so it, it went from having all the time in the world to get it right to, they spent so long and maybe had too many people involved with different conflicting ideas or whatever and couldn't get it right. So then it comes to, okay, shoot, we got two months to write a script before we start shooting. And it's JJ and Lawrence Kazan just get on it and crank something out. And right. then you end up with a movie with interesting characters, but story threads that are kind of all over the place. And that's not really setting a good foundation for a good story arc for the trilogy. Um, and same with Rise of Skywalker. I mean, they hired Colin Trevorrow not long after Ryan Johnson. I mean, he'd been working nope, on that yeah. thing for a long time. And then next thing you know, you know, it's like once he's been working on it for two years or something, they decide his idea is not good enough. So they they give him the boot, bring J.J. Abrams back again at the 11th hour, and it's just crank something out. And then you get, you know, what in my opinion is kind of a – a rushed mess with the rise of Skywalker. I mean, I know you guys like it, but it's just, I think we would all agree that that movie would have benefited from, um, well, I, I mean, that movie alone would have benefited from more preparation, but I think also just, you know, it, it doesn't feel like the whole sequel trilogy cohesively like builds towards that, which I think is the biggest issue. So, um, yeah, I don't know. But again, just to my point there, like, I think it's, yeah, it's like there was almost a lack of preparation, but then that almost was kind of a result of like too much preparation, if that makes sense. Um, no, you know, like I, them, them almost being yeah. like too too nitpicky about stuff or too and, – yeah. and I'm sure that both – like with, with probably both with Michael Arndt and with Colin Trevorrow, maybe there was a lot of input from people that, you know, was making it hard to, to just get their vision across. But it's also hard when you have something that's just been controlled – by George for so long. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, sometimes he hit the mark. Sometimes he missed, you know, sometimes he made mistakes or did stuff that fans didn't agree with, but you knew it was all coming from him. Like it was his story. Um, mm-hmm. And then when you bring other people in to try to continue that story, like, and all, everybody kind of has different interpretations of it. And star Wars means different things to different people. So yeah. maybe they brought in Michael Arndt or Colin Trevorrow and said, Hey, this guy's a great writer or a great filmmaker. And we think he's going to make a great star Wars movie. And they write something and you go, this doesn't feel like star Wars to me. I don't think this is what George would have done and people interpret it differently. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's also kind of what it boils down to. It's just hard to, bring in a group of people and have them all agree on something where in the past it was just one guy running the show. And I really wish, I mean, honestly, I wish George had kept Lucasfilm made episodes seven, eight, and nine, but done what he no did kidding. with episodes five and six and just be, and, and do what he did with Dave on Clone Wars. Just be the storyteller and the executive producer and surround yourself with a good team of director and script writer and, and producers and stuff that can uh, put your vision on the screen as opposed to doing it all himself like he did with the prequel trilogy. And I think maybe he kind of got burned on... I mean, not burned in the sense that it screwed him over, because obviously Empire and Jedi were very successful, but maybe he didn't enjoy that as much, you know, and he had all these ideas for the prequel trilogy and wanted to make sure that uh, he could execute it the way he wanted to without having to try to, like, kind of relay it through somebody else. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think in a perfect world, if we could go back to 2012 and start over again, I would go to Lucasfilm and beg George, like, please just stay, let somebody else direct the movies, but you, you know, just come up with the stories and, and just kind of keep everything on track. Tim, you want to chime in before I dominate again, please? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this makes for great, insightful conversations and just about the process of how all this happened. But to be honest, when those interviews, a lot of interviews, Captain Kennedy and Daisy Ridley's crows, I honestly didn't pay them much mind because to me, it's just the same old, same old, like you were alluding to, it's that we knew already. And I didn't put it, much weight as far as it being something totally new where, oh, this is just proof of how, as you said, Kyle, there was people thinking Disney doesn't know what they're doing. And this just shows that they were uh, wrong to be in control of Star Wars and all that. But to me, it didn't prove that, make that point any stronger than what we already knew before. And I just find it funny how we're kind of talking about some of the unfortunate circumstances of how the sequel trilogy came about to where it wasn't planned out from the beginning and everyone was kind of wanting to say what they had to say in each subsequent movie and not feeling as cohesive as it could be. But in saying that, it might be sound like how we're negative on it, but man, I still love those movies. <laughs> it's funny to think about how something that as obviously that you could clearly see were some that wasn't heavily planned out as it, as well as it could have been that, I think for me anyway, turned out as well as they did. And I still enjoy the heck about them, as you all know. And um, it is something that I think to where when you watch all nine, it, I think this is even more so for a casual fan or someone who's just a general audience. who's not heavily into star Wars and the production of it and following every bit of the production process. Like we have been doing for the last eight years and just, seeing it through those type of eyes and just seeing episodes one through nine, it does feel like a progressive story that makes sense when you watch it from beginning to end and how it starts and how it culminates to the end of the saga. So to me, it is something where, I mean, I could appreciate that too, because I feel that way when I watch it, um, despite knowing all the different production troubles that the sequel trilogy uh, went through it to me, what it does feel like one singular story that, you're enjoying when you watch one to nine. It's just kind of sometimes as the diehard fans that we are, we have that extra baggage going into it of knowing all the different uh, troubles that went on during production, especially for the sequel trilogy. But it doesn't lessen the love I've had for these movies. And can certain things have played out better? Yeah, I'll be the first to admit that and have things flow a little bit better to where um, it doesn't feel like certain things are changing or developing on the spot. Uh, for whoever's making the next movie. Uh, that is definitely evident. I'm not going to deny that. But to me, it doesn't take away from the story that is generally being told throughout the course of the saga. And I'll, that'll be something that I'll always appreciate for me as uh, for my fandom and appreciation for the Star Wars and the Skywalker saga as a whole. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just I don't have too much to add to it, really, because it is something where when I saw those quotes, it's just like, yeah, uh, I know <laughs> type of thing. Um, not earth shattering news to me anyway. Right. And we already knew to me, the whole thing about Kathleen Kennedy saying about having all these history to play with and these, this years of lore that we can uh, mine from and tell new stories. Um, 
yeah, it wasn't something that that just dawned on her and Lucasfilm right now. To me, it was something that they were just so focused on completing the Skywalker saga uh, at that moment. And just from the time Disney bought Lucasfilm, that was just the goal and the focus to finish that saga. And yeah, they knew that there were obviously thinking ahead and planning for the future and knowing, knowing there were these stories and different timelines out there. But now that they could really, that the Skywalker saga is finished, they can really focus on what eras and what type of stories they want to do next. Not necessarily saying that they just realize that now. I think you said it best, Kyle, where she was probably just misspoke there in giving those quotes and kind of making it seem like they're just figuring that out now when in reality they knew all along, but they just had to focus on getting the Skywalker saga done with Rogue One and Solo mixed in between uh, before really diving into what to where they want to go next. And that's where they're at now. And um, hopefully we'll find out soon enough. Um, right now it's 2023. We'll bet the way things are moving now in the film industry, who knows when we're going to see the next feature length Star Wars theatrical release. Um, because I'm not holding my breath for 2023, the way yeah. things are going now. So, but that's what Lucasfilm is doing now. And we'll just see what the results are once we finally do get to that point as far as the next theatrical Star Wars movie that we're seeing. Well, and I think that there's, and going, uh, uh, why I think they are connected a little bit with these two things, with the Kathleen Kennedy kind of going, talking about how there's an all expansive world of the Skywalker saga is now complete. And, you know, it's, I, 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 I was so just kind of rolled my eyes when she said that because she had just sent said like, you know, months before, well, we didn't have a, a, a template to go from with, with our story. We didn't have game of Thrones. Like they had a, at least a, a thing where they were going. It's like, Oh my God, Kathleen, well, you are. Well, you, you know, see, even that I think could kind of be misinterpreted by some people because they don't. It, yes. Star Wars is not based on a book or mm. a comic series but, or anything like that. So, but the problem is they did. Because they had George's outlines, they didn't want to use them. That's well, yeah, the that's true. And that's where I think, because you're right, you can misinterpret it. Many, you can interpret that and misinterpret it many different ways. I totally agree with that. And a lot of people online, the anti-Kathleen people, would be like, "There's all these expanded novels and blah blah." blah. I, I get that, and I think even I hate to say this, I think there is a point. There's a legitimate point they're making as well. It's not like. I don't think it's a legitimate point to where it's <laughs> well, hold on. The, the problem is you can take, you can cherry pick. I'm going to bring up Kevin Feige for a minute because one thing about Kevin Feige and, and my, my, I, I don't even want to call him a co-host. He's the leader, the leader, Sean Gerber from MCU fan show. That's it, it, his show. I just happened to, you know, be invited on, you know, whenever he asked me to come on, whatever, um, you know, for a long time now, uh, you know, he is Kevin Feige's number one fan. I mean, the guy like knows everything about Kevin Feige. And one thing he told me that was kind of surprising that I didn't know about was he likes comics. He, you know, he, he likes comics, you know, enough, obviously, but he's not a big comic guy. He said, and I, and I, and this is what he tells me. I don't analyze Kevin Feige as much as he does. Not even close. He told me he's more of a movie guy. And I thought that was interesting because Kevin Feige seems to know and understand these characters, like this guy is all he does is read comic books, at least the Marvel comic books. And I was I was so surprised by that. And I've again, I keep referencing things that I've talked about before. Just bear with me. 
But I've talked about, I think, on that show and on this show, too, that the advantage and the and I think the genius of Kevin Feige is that he cherry picks what he wants. He doesn't just adapt stories word for word or, or you know, or, you know, 80 percent, 70 percent. He literally takes elements. And, and Tim, you know this. He takes elements of different stories, kind of pushes them together and makes them a great story. And there's a danger to that because you could also make it have too much going on. But Kevin knows what needs to go in and what doesn't. And I think a big reason why, and I've, I've said this before, he understands these characters. He understands the Marvel universe. But see, that, that actually doesn't surprise me that he's more of a movie guy and maybe not a diehard comics fan because – that makes perfect sense that as somebody that has those film sensibilities and likes comic characters and comic stories, but is more thinking in the vein of how does this translate to mm -hmm. a good film as opposed right. to thinking, Oh, the comics are sacred and I got to do this exactly like it was done in the comic. Like that's not going to work. Like they're two completely different mediums. And I, I think, you know, that makes perfect sense. Like you need somebody that, has an appreciation and an understanding and really does get the can sort of boil down the essence of it like gets the important stuff mm -hmm. and knows well, how to translate that to a film without yeah. being so sort of blindly loyal to comics and thinking that it's got to be done the exact right. same way and that and that's it you and you are exactly right and the problem is is kathleen is neither of those and and that's not and again i'm not bad mouthing kathy i'm just saying the truth she is that's not her strength She's an organizer. She's not a creative force. Kevin Feige is also he he's very much an organizer. He he is a leader. That is that is both her and his strength. They lead in different ways. Their strengths are different. The strength that Kevin has is that he has that insight. Like you said, Kyle, he knows film. He knows what works in films. He's a movie guy, but he also understands comic books because he's a legitimate fan of it and he knows what the fans want wolverine's hair is like it in, in x-men one because literally of kevin feige he made his hair to actually look like the comic books because he knew that is an important trait and it's it, this is kind of a it's a minute point but my point remains is that no, i think it's a, a very big one for that movie <laughs> yeah well, it, it is because the thing is, you we notice it, and it helps us as fans invest more in that movie and, and talk about it more, which then this obviously turns into a buzz, right? So what I'm trying to make out here is that with these comments that Kathleen's making, Kathleen's making, it makes it more obvious to how clueless she really is about what she's in charge of. And I'm just going to say it right now. She does not understand Star Wars the way you need to, I think, going forward into the future. I, I think that the in going back to George, going back to the whole plan of what uh, Daisy was saying, the problem was is that when George put her in control, he really wanted to still be in control in Star Wars and still be have his voice heard in these films. And he Kathleen was meant to be that kind of his conduit, if you will, his avatar, if you will. And they did not turn into that. And it obviously, it burned George because, you know, whatever his name, Bob Iger was like, oh, you know, Star Wars better than you. And it was like, man, now they're looking really not as good. And even though, like Tim said, 
I like the sequel trilogy. I love the first and second, the first and last movies. Now, middle one, I like elements of it, and you know. But that being said, I do love that last movie. I, I legitimately do. Do I wish we got George's version? Yes, I'll take George's version over everything of that sequel trilogy. But we can't go back in time. We got what we got, and I think that I'm happy with how it ended, and I'm good with it. And I don't think we saw the end either. You can quote me on that. Ten years, we'll go back to this receipt. Um, but regardless, that Kathleen, it's evident when she made that comment about the plans, that was a very just kind of not a smart comment considering the, the book that just came out with Bob Iger about throwing away George's, you know, his outlines. Not And again, and not ignoring what has come before because think about this too, and I'm not saying the EU was flawless, not even close. But there are some good elements that they could have adopted to maybe ease the pain a little bit purposefully. Be like, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't just like do what we think is like 100% right. We should look and see and like do these different different things. What does Kevin do or, or whatever? Just yeah. But, you know, OK, to, a couple points here to just on the side of being fair and, and giving credit where credit is due. Elements that they adopted from the EU into the new canon uh han and leia getting married and having a son who turns to the dark side luke starting a jedi academy even though that didn't last long like yeah that, they, you can't even use that i think they're totally different they're so radically different well, they, so, i mean they are different i'm just saying they kept some of those ideas um but the, but but some of those ideas are so uh, like they're like the most obvious jumping like okay for instance okay for instance the even like children's books of like glove of darth vader leia and han are getting married like it's like these are the obvious jumping off points. Now, Luke, now I will, I will give them the sun turn to the dark side is definitely something that I don't, I don't think they literally looked at that and said, we're going to borrow this directly. I think that's more of a co coincidence, but I'll give it to you because I think that that possibly could have played into that. I'll, I'll give that to you. But besides that, there's, there's, I mean, there's, there's not really that much. And it's, I mean, at least for, in my opinion. And I think that the you're right to an extent, but to me, there's so, the, the things they, they they did were so just kind of obvious for the most part. Yeah. Well, and, and look, you know. I'm, I'm not saying that they, you know, took all their ideas from the EU, nor that they oh. should have. I'm just saying that, you know, there, there are, I'm not saying they completely ignored all that stuff either. Also, I don't know if you guys have seen some of the stuff that's been coming out over the past couple of weeks or whatever. I guess there's been some some info that Pablo Hidalgo has released. I think it's maybe coming out in, in a new book or something like that where yeah. he is kind of shedding a little bit of light on uh, some of George's uh, early ideas for the sequel trilogy. And it's sounding like it might be a little bit more similar than uh, people were expecting. Um and I think we already knew that the idea of like sort of a, a force sensitive young woman being the main character of the trilogy was something that George that was originally a George idea. I think in his version, she was going to be a teenager instead of, you know, sort of yeah. a young adult like Ray is. Um, but also even Luke sort of being like a, a disillusioned hermit uh, who then ends up dying. Um, and I've seen some debate as to whether in his like, I think maybe Pablo said that in his version Luke was going to die in episode seven, but Mark Hamill said he was going to die in episode eight or nine or something like that. But I believe it was always still eight, according to what that what Pablo said in the book. Oh, OK. But I mean, regardless, just saying that um, mm. some of the things that people say they don't like about the sequel trilogy or things that they think are going against what George would have done actually are 
kind of similar to what George would have done. Um, but again, the other thing too, I mean, just, just going back to Kathleen Kennedy as well, like I give her a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, and again, like I'm not, I don't think she's done the best job. I don't think she's done the worst job. Um, but you kind of compare it to, to Kevin Feige with Mar with Marvel. He's like you said, he's cherry picking the best elements of all these comic stories that have been written by all these different comic writers. So it's not like he's coming in and taking over from a George Lucas. I mean, you had Stan Lee, but you know, and I, I mean, I'm not the biggest aficionado of comic books, so I don't know if back in the day, like if Stan Lee was the one coming up with all the stories and all the characters, but obviously nowadays you've got <laughs> all kinds of people writing all kinds of stuff, right? So when you got three hours, we can talk about that later. Yeah, so, so, so Ke yeah. Kevin Feige is not like having to, it's not like what would Stan Lee do? He's taking stories and characters that have been created by all kinds of different people. And again, just boiling down the, taking the best elements and the best characters and the things that he knows are going to resonate with moviegoers that are also going to resonate with comic fans and throwing in those Easter eggs and making it feel true to the characters and stuff and putting it in there. Lucasfilm is almost doing the complete opposite because you're not, you, you know, you're not adapting source material and you're not taking the best elements of things that have been created by a bunch of different people, you're bringing a bunch of different people in to try to take the best of their ideas and their creativity and their input mm -hmm. to put together something that closely matches what one guy would have done. And that's really hard to do. Um, well, you know, and so it's funny you bring that up, Kyle, because I think you're right, but you're also, I also disagree. It's weird. It's really weird because you're right that, Kevin has the advantage of, of, of adapting things and people used to seeing different interpretations of these different characters for a lot longer than star Wars. But the counterpoint in my head is like, but here's the problem, Kyle, is that this has been star Wars has been around now for 40 years and we have seen what people of again, a, again, just like comic books, we have seen a small fan base see what they liked with, with Luke Skywalker and what they don't like with Luke, Sky, Luke Skywalker. And I think the problem is, is that the, because they don't have a Luke hasn't gone this trajectory that the X-Men or the Avengers or Spider-Man have gone on and, and cause they've been around a lot longer than, than Luke has himself or in those characters. The difference is, is that there's still a small enough sample size or a big enough sample size, I should say, of what kind of what fans kind of expect. And I know people will say, like, we don't want to do what fans expect, blah, 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 blah. And I, I totally get that understanding. But this isn't. I think that you have you have to respect where this where they come from when you have your the actor of him himself basically being like it's like that should be an that should have been a warning sign right well and yeah think, and look i'm not talking specifically about luke skywalker though or no, specifically no, get, about yeah, the last yeah. jedi i'm talking about the the general. sequel trilogy and even disney star wars in general and i don't think it's any coincidence that probably the two most well-received Star Wars, Star Wars stories of the sequel trilogy era, or of the the Disney era rather, have been The Mandalorian and season seven of Clone Wars, which were both had heavy involvement from Dave Filoni, who worked directly with George Lucas for the better part of like ten years. Yeah, and and again, like there exactly, and and again, someone who understands the universe, 
it is and, and like John Favreau is even we all assumed that John Favreau was a big Star Wars fan, but he's not. Like I remember watching those special features. He even says, like, Dave's turning me on more to the prequels. Or, you know, he says it in, in the um in, in the in the the phenomenal celebration uh uh, panel that I, I've gone back and listened to, and it's fantastic listening to those two guys. It's so great. It's so insightful to see how excited they are. But going back to those special features on um, the D Disney Plus series, you see, you, he mentions that, like, about he's not a big prequel fan, and how Dave is really teaching him about Star Wars to where he's like, man, I, I kind of get it now. I kind of get where George is going. This is kind of awesome. I mean, that those are my words, not his. But you can kind of tell it's clicking more for him. And I think that is what's so great about Dave Filoni. And Dave Filoni is a, a, a great creative storyteller. And that's the key, is that you have someone who understands Star Wars. And I think it's less about aesthetic. It's more about storytelling. And that's what George has always been pushing. And I think that's why I think the sequel trilogy has been so hard for some people. And it hasn't and there's no consistency is that the aesthetics, and I think part of the aesthetic, though, I think, in my opinion, in storytelling, is the are the things that we have, I think, in Star Wars, like Luke building a Jedi Order and things like that, you know? And I and and to be honest, I the one thing I think that people, mainstream audiences, and, and I don't want to bring in like a Star Trek necessarily, but it's like I think what Star Wars is doing is is really I love I'll give Kathleen a lot of credit the fact that she wants to do everything to be canon right, mm -hmm. and I love that I still want to endorse that because I think that's the right thing to do as, as a fan of as, as Star Wars being one of my favorite things in this world I want to continue that because I want to I want to invest like I love spending money I'm not gonna lie I do I love buying crap it's great and if I'm gonna buy Star Wars books I want them to matter. And I want them to count. And I know everyone says like, you know, counts. No, it, it's not right. Like I, I understand the idea that you know, not everyone, everything is fan fiction. You're right. If everything was that simple, then nothing would matter. And it's, it's that's my point. Like things have to matter in order to have substance. You know, ultimately, you don't have they don't have to count towards the the overall story for you to like it. But you know what I mean? Like there's got to be varying degrees of what matters and what doesn't matter in your story. And you're, you know, not everything can be fan fiction. I'm sorry, it's just reality. Um, and you know, if the person ever listens to this podcast, he knows exactly who I'm talking about. I love you, <laughs> uh, and I mean that too. Uh, but the thing is, what, what I what I hope continues with with this, and when you look at Star Trek, is the fact that like there's so much, gar you know, gobbledygook in different timelines, and you know, it's it's too insane. It's like it's very much like the DC universe. You know, it's like it has to keep rebooting itself and whatever. But look at Marvel and Marvel has done their fair share of random reboots here or there. But for the most part, they try to keep all their continuity the best way they can and work around the inconsistencies because nothing's going to be perfect. You're always going to have inconsistencies. Right. And and I've always gone back to the fact that you have to embrace the continuity and and that's the thing about comic books. And I think that the mainstream audience and the sequel trilogy, it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I think Star Wars and Kathleen Kennedy and whoever replaces Kathleen Kennedy, they can't ignore the stories of the comic books and they can't ignore and brush things under the rug. And some things they can, but some things they can't. 
And sometimes you got to be open to to like really embracing what you've already done, even though it wasn't the most popular thing, if there's a good story within it. And that's why I keep going back to the sequel trilogy as a whole, even though it wasn't organized from the beginning, even though they maybe did not have they should have taken more things from different, you know, cherry picked more from George's things and, and maybe from the EU and kind of put it all together. And again, I'm not saying they should have done that, but they could have maybe had a better response and, and maybe had a little more control over the filmmakers like a JJ and Ryan Johnson. The thing is, this all could be fixable or not fixable, but salvageable is a better word. I think salvageable in a sense to where you can make it matter more is by taking a page out of out of the comic book continuity, like a Marvel comics, and even DC, uh, I say even DC, but like DC as well, taking your continuity and trying to make something of it. Take Last Jedi, take those important moments and make them matter even more by tying different things into it. Like Snoke, what, what's going on in Snoke's, you know, with that moment? Like what, how does he, in his mind, how does he bridging Kylo and Ray's mind go deeper into that in a, in a side story to make that matter, to make what, how can you make that plot point that, and that's a very throwaway line by Ryan Johnson and make that whole thing, make it matter more. There's a, there is a story there in the comic books. And I'm going to go back and I've been reading a lot of comics lately and a lot of Marvel comics specifically. And let me tell you, nothing is wasted in those comic books. Writers go back 20, 15 years and find a, a, a line of dialogue, a random panel, whatever, and they'll turn it into a eight crossover team event or whatever. And Tim, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what needs to happen is that they, they take the sequel trilogy and go, okay, how do we expand these things that, that's, that were brought into it and make it more but the problem is what we have in leadership is they just want to kind of now it's like, oh, it's controversial. Let's just throw it away. And that's my issue with, I think, everything is there's no leadership. There's no embracing of, of the continuity. There's no embracing of what's come before and what's come, what's going to come after. It's just kind of like, oh, uh, it's all reactionary at this point. Well, now, I, I would say to that, give it time because I agree. people and had the same reaction to the prequel trilogy. Three years later, we got Clone Wars. We're only not even a year out from Rise of Skywalker, um, and it was three years after point. three years after Revenge of the Sith that we got Clone Wars on the air. And look how much that show has done to improve people's perception of the prequel trilogy overall. And um, I, I want that so badly, Kyle. And, and that's the thing. And that's why I want an animated series after the film, you know, based something to be that Clone Wars. And I think that. That to me is what they need to do. And that to me is what a true – someone who is in charge – and I, going back to my previous points, and I'll, I'll stop and let you guys all talk. I apologize. But this obviously – I've been – this has been pent up for like months. I've been wanting to talk about this. So this is why I'm like, Bleh! you know, so <laughs> I apologize. But – and that's the thing, Kyle, that I get so frustrated at is the fact that there is – like – there needs to be a Clone Wars, and I've we've we've definitely gone on a lot about that. There needs to be a sequel trilogy like Clone Wars series that expands on everything that we have. And the thing is, you don't. We need someone who's in charge who's going to embrace that. And you can't. And going back to my previous point about this is where you need that singular vision. Where I understand that you know in these big things that there's got to be multiple people, but it needs to be a singular vision and not you know here's my opinion for about two hours and then here's my opinion for two hours. And you know, you need to have a singular vision of some sort and people in marketing, people in the, you know, who are corporate, who, who count pennies, 
they don't understand that process. And, you know, and, and the problem is it's only Kathleen. It's like she so doesn't understand that process that she thinks like, oh, I'll just be like George. It's easy. It's someone can just come in and, you know, whatever. It, it doesn't work that way. You gotta, there's got to be a, a, some kind of common link. And I think that's the issue. You need to have a common link who wants to who wants to improve these things and say, you know what? I'm not going to ignore the sequel trilogy. Let's make it better. Let's let's expand on this. Let's do this. Let's do that. Well, again, that, but my point with the fact that George took three years between Revenge of the Sith and Clone Wars is the because the fact that it's been ten months since the sequel trilogy ended and we don't already have a Clone Wars type material for it doesn't mean that Kathleen is ignoring it. Well, I, I think that when you have going back to what our our topic is, she says, now that it's done, now we can focus on these other things. And I think that's good. I, don't get me wrong, but I think that there's she could have said, you know, we we love Ray and Finn and Poe. Because to me, there's more con- the fact that she's not even confident. I, I shouldn't say that. It comes off like she's not confident in the sequel trilogy and what's going on in there. The fact that she's already like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> she could That's say like even realistically though, they know they just can't immediately. Well, cause I think they're specifically talking about the movies moving on from the sequel trilogy. Whereas like well, realistically, yeah, they can't do anything yeah, with sure. those characters as their next projects in the foreseeable future future. So I didn't necessarily take it as that where they're kind of just glad it's done and want to move away from those characters. It just doesn't make sense to, you know, immediately go back to that once yeah. now that you're finished, you're obviously going to want to do something totally different. Well, yeah, especially because they branded it as the end of the Skywalker saga. And even though I think we probably all agree that there probably will be an episode 10 at some point, um, mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to backtrack on that right away and be like, just kidding, the next yeah. movie is going to have Ray Finn and Poe. And so I do think she's talking specifically about the movies, especially because she's talking about them meeting with filmmakers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's, you know, I I think it needs a little time to breathe. And I think because there was so much kind of mixed reaction to the sequel trilogy, there's so much of a push to like, okay, what's next? Like everybody wants like a a palate cleanser almost, or wants to, to move on to the next thing and, and wants it to be better and wants to know that Disney knows what they're doing. Um, personally, I think the fact that we're not getting a movie till at least 2023 is probably a good thing. It just will give us time to kind of reset, let everybody take a step back, cool off for a bit, enjoy the Mandalorian, um, and, and Obi Wan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We got Obi Wan stuff coming. Yeah, we still got Obi Wan, Cassian, Bad Batch. You know, who knows how many other Star Wars stories will be out by the time the next movie comes out? But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, and you're right about that. It just it saddens me the fact that she just didn't even make a comment. Like we want to keep, you know, we'd love to keep telling the story of those characters and, you know, and maybe not in films, but in some, again, going to the, make it have some key. She's the one that wants everything to be connected. She could have made a comment about, we would love to continue their, their, these are their adventures and in, in different comics and things like that. Cause to me, now, real quick, again, I was, as I said, I didn't read really the full interview or even the question that was asked to make her say that. Was it a question that was asked? regarding no. the sequel trilogy and those characters? Because would it even be something that she would say in response to that question? 
No, no, I don't even know what the what the original question was. It just says um, I'm actually reading this from a, a different site because you have to pay for a subscription to the rap to read the article on there. But yeah. um, it just says speaking with the rap, she said this, and it, you know they're just talking about sort of um, Star Wars movies and their plans for the future and stuff like that. But yeah, it wasn't in di- in. Di- I don't think it was in direct response to a question about. Uh, you know, what they're going to do with the characters of the sequel trilogy or anything like that. No, it's, it's just me kind of being, I wish, I wish she'd be a little, I wish there was more aggressiveness to, or again, not in film or even TV, but like make comics, make books, do expand what's already been done. And we're just not getting that again. It, it, that stems from all this whole point of this conversation is this lack of vision. And I think that there's, even though, yes, maybe the mainstream, the mainstream audience that like maybe are they're done with it, there's still plenty of Star Wars fans like myself who I I love Ray Skywalker, you know. I want to I want to see more stories of her. I think that there's a lot of people out there who maybe hated Tross would probably still go buy race material because they love Ray still. Even if they lo- love the you know the now thankfully retconned Ray Nobody or Way from Nowhere, or whatever you want to call her from that movie from that came out in the 2017 um wow you're not even naming i know i'm just being petty i just love it i i play it up i play it up just to be just to be a smart aleck i love it no no in all seriousness there's i think there's a lot of people all of us included i think we all be curious of like oh it'd be really cool to read a post tross story about ray in a novel even it's just a month later it'd be kind of cool to read that or or whatever right i mean yeah so, I mean, that's what I'm saying. And you can make money, believe it or not. You might actually make money off of it. <laughs> I mean, like, that's the thing is for me is like, it, it, to me, you're, it's not sacred. If you, these characters are not sacred. They're not, they're, I'm sorry, they're not the original trilogy characters. They're not. They're not even, they're not even freaking Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. They're still good. And that's what I'm saying. Like, don't treat them like they're, you know, and don't go, again, just like my ideas for the animated series. You don't have to go crazy and tell some, like, Ray dies two months later. Don't do something stupid like that. But, like, tell me, tell a story. Well, here's the, here's the other thing. And, I mean, we've heard comments about this from even, like, I think it was from the the Star Wars books account or maybe just from some Star Wars authors who were talking about this, about how it's hard for them to – Sometimes it can be hard for them to get people to write new Star Wars material or people that want to be involved in it just because of some of the the negative backlash that they see, even towards people that write some of the books. But especially like I'll tell you what, if I was an author or an animator or a director that was getting hired to do a book, a comic, a TV series, a spinoff movie, whatever about characters from the sequel trilogy – I probably wouldn't want to touch it because you're either going to piss off the people that like the last Jedi and hate the rise of Skywalker, or you're going to piss off the people that hate the last Jedi and like the rise of Skywalker. Or, you know, there's so many divided opinions. I'd rather just start with something new. Um, And so I think that might be part of where they're coming from uh, on that as well. Um, And just, you know, looking to, to branch out into other areas. So, well, you know, in the the one thing I'll say that about that Kyle is that there yeah, big name authors and things like that, they don't want to do it. There's a lot of people who are want their opportunities that are hungry that will that will do the stories and will and will take those chances. 
they're out there too. Maybe not proven. And again, this is where Kevin Feige, for uh, not all the time, but has done a great job of cultivating these people that are hungry because he's got the vision. He needs to have the tools to to execute that vision. And that's where I think, again, that's why I think the Mandalorian is so right, so great because you have a vision. I think Rogue One, for the most part, even though they had to do a bunch of rewrites, at least had like a real crux of a story that you could at least kind of expand on. And you, it definitely got modified a lot at the end for the better. And that kind of was salvaged. Again, that's more the exception than the rule. But my point is, is that. Well, no, that's, that's a good point though, because that originated not from them saying, Hey, we need to make a star Wars movie. What are we, what is it going to be about? It was, I believe John Knoll, right. From Lucasfilm who came to them and said, Hey, I've got this idea for a spinoff story we could do. Um, yeah. and I think, and same with, with John Favreau with the Mandalorian. So I think that's how the best stories are, it, are created is when, well, yeah. when it just starts with a good idea rather than starting of necessity. We bought this company. We need to make star Wars movies to make some money. What do you got? I feel like for the most part, yes. And I've, I've gone on record saying when, when there's true, when, when the best things are usually truly inspired, not everything, but most of the time it's when they're truly inspired ideas and, and again, it comes from that vision standpoint. And this is where I think I, I keep bringing up, you know, comic books, but like in, in Marvel specifically, because it's I've seen it for years when pe- people do things that they don't like or, or whatever they, you know, and there's definitely reboots and things like that. But a lot of times things are retconned in a way where like I kind of like how JJ did it, too. Right. Like uh, there's he brings in and he brings in a lot of different elements that I really liked and. Again, I think more things need to happen like that in Star Wars. Now, granted, in the third film where everyone was like, I don't like that. You know, I get it. I I understand why people have problems with it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not oblivious to it. But that's where they need to do. They need to do more of stuff like that, in my opinion. Maybe not on the last portion, but try to find creative ways within the continuity to fix those things. And I think that that's what I want to see. If we're going to expand on this, let's find let's have that vision and, and, and go with that vision and, and, and see it through and then use the continuity to fix itself and by using, you know, creative ways and find, I think, and this is what I was trying to say and wrapping up my final thoughts is, you know what, if people have problems making star Wars because of all that, or whatever, like I said, there's hung, there's plenty of creatives out there that are maybe unproven, but are willing to like put the work in. You seem to find the person in charge to help guide them. And that means the person, right? You know, in charge of storytelling, which I've always said, been Dave Filoni, and he should be running Star Wars storytelling. Maybe not Lucasfilm, but in charge of Star Wars storytelling. So, anyway, this is, I've been holding this in for a long time. It feels great to get it out. God, I love Star Wars. I need to. See, I mean, I have a Rise of Skywalker poster staring me right in the face. I need to watch this movie like this weekend. I think. I, it's funny you say that. I, it's the you know, we were talking about some of like the on Twitter seeing more of the jabs and poking fun at it and kind of the negative aspect towards it. It's just making me want to watch the movie, enjoy everything that I love about it. <laughs> I get. love this movie. I mean, like it's, it's a perfect no, but it's just, it's trying to be the best Star Wars movie it can be and not trying to be its own thing. It's not trying to be like what I want to see in a movie. It's like, I want, it's trying to like fix and make it Star Wars as much as possible. What of what JJ and Chris Terrio think is Star Wars, and to me, it comes across. It's, it's definitely not perfect. Don't get me wrong, 
but there's so many great things in it and then things that I love about it that it's just, it's just, it seems, it literally seems like a comic book like brought to life. And as far as like the storylines and how it's paced and everything, it definitely gives me that feel. I think that's why I love it so much. I've, I've gone on record saying that. So yeah, I, I, I need to watch this movie again. I, I love it. It's been a while. It's been a minute. Yeah. I don't know. I think for me, I don't mind them sort of taking a step back from the sequel trilogy era rather, rather than immediately trying to jump in and, and fix it or add to it or, or try to get people to like it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it was almost kind of an experiment in trying to bring in all these different directors and filmmakers and writers and stuff and try to create something close to what George would have done or do something that the fans would have liked. I think they've learned a lot of lessons from it. Um, and obviously they've, they're kind of on a roll with the TV stuff right now. So I think it's a good time to kind of step back, regroup, do some other stuff with the Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and Cassian and the high Republic and all that kind of stuff. And then when we're ready to get back to star Wars films, um, you know, hopefully they've, they've learned some lessons and can, uh, just knock it out of the park come 2023 or whenever that's going to be who knows if movie theaters will even still be open at that point but um yeah i don't know it's been a a good insightful discussion i think and uh as always you know we're always speculating about stuff that might happen in the future and it's always going to be interesting to look back years from now and kind of see what comes of all this but um yeah i think before we uh let's uh go ahead and head out here but before we wrap up um I think, Tim, we've got some responses and stuff that you wanted to read from our last episode in regard to Star Wars video games, right? Yeah. Um, first up, we got an email from Jonathan Gilbert sharing his favorite video games. Um, he goes, hey, guys, just been listening to your favorite Star Wars games and felt the need to share mine. Um, his number one pick is Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. What a game and what a twist, he says. Second is Jedi Fallen Order. Number three is Star Wars Battlefront Two, the new version. Number four, Star Wars Episode One Racer. And number five, Star Wars Knights of the Republic 2. So it's probably not a popular opinion, but I loved it. I feel a need to make an honorable mention for the Phantom Menace game. It probably was awful, and I'm viewing it through the rose-tinted glasses of having played it in my youth, but I remember putting many hours into that game. Yeah, uh, sorry to say, Jonathan, but I think that might be the case because <laughs> when I played it the first time, I felt that one. It was awful. <laughs> <laughs> And the graphics definitely don't hold up, but I just didn't like the fact that when you're playing as Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, you used your blaster more than your lightsaber. Wait, what? And <laughs> that's how I remember it. A lot of the missions, you would use your blaster more. And it was like, so I want to use my lights. Exactly. You want to use my lightsabers and fight battle, not chop down battle droids. And yeah, so not my favorite. At the same time, I could totally understand what you're coming from as far as having good memories of it, viewing it through uh, nostalgia, because I'm sure some of the ones I had in my list and honorable mentions are probably the same, but <laughs> wasn't a big fan of the Phantom Menace game. Uh, but he concludes saying, thank you as always for the great podcast. Keep up the great work and may the force be with you from England. So thank you, Jonathan, for that email. And then we also got some responses on Twitter. Um, Derek uh, BB says his number one is Battlefront 2 from 2005. Number two, Battlefront 1. And number three, KOTOR, and KOTOR 2 for number four. Then number five, Jedi Academy. Andrew Lupe says KOTOR number one and two for his number one pick, Battlefront 2, the 2005 version. I'm sensing a theme with Battlefront 2. <laughs> then number three is Jedi Knight, three, Jedi Academy. Number four, Jedi Fallen Order. And number five, Bounty Hunter. 
And then Caleb Klingon says, such a hard list, but I would say number one is Knights of the Real Republic 2, the original Battlefront 2. Um, number three, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. Number four, Rogue Squadron. Number five, Jedi Knight, Jedi Academy. And then Master Bear Jedi says, this was a surprising one for me. His number one pick was Star Wars Galaxies, which I've never played, but I know it doesn't have the best reputation, especially when it comes to MMOs, and it had that big relaunch that didn't last too long. So I'm sure it has its fans. Obviously, Master Bear Jedi is. But yeah, I think it'd be a number one pick. It definitely has a dedicated following. Like I, 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 I've never played it except I think I played like a free trial of it back in the day. But I know a, f- a handful, a few handful of people that uh, really love that game. Yeah, I, mean, I know it was. A lot of fans were disappointed and upset when it finally got the plug got pulled on it and it was just yeah. gone. <laughs> so. Um, but number two is Rogue Squadron. Number three is Episode One Racer. Number four is Star Wars The Old Republic. And number five, Rogue Squadron 2, Rogue Leader. And then CT7056 says Battlefront 2, 2015. Or Battlefront 1, 2015. Then number two is Battlefront 2. Then number three is Jedi Fallen Order. And then number four is the OG Battlefront 2. And already making his top five is Squadrons as number hmm. five. And then Paul DePaula says Knights of the Republic is number one, TIE Fighter is number two, Battlefront 2 for number three, the new one, Jedi Outcast for number four, and then number five, Rogue Leader. And Josh Allen says number one, Battlefront 2 from 2005, number two, KOTOR 1 and 2, number three is Jedi Fallen Order, number four is Jedi Starfighter. Glad to see that one get on there. I know it wasn't on my honorable mention, but it was one of those uh, Star Wars games that is not great, but still a really good one. So, so glad to see um, it makes someone's top five list. And then number five for Josh is Lego The Complete Saga. And then for the last two, these ones are not five, but uh, for Geek Furious, his top three is X Wing Alliance, which I was telling you, Kyle, before we recorded, I totally forgot about that game. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw it, I had to look it up. Man, which one was that? But it is kind of part of the X Wing and TIE Fighter family of PC games. The number two was TIE Fighter, and number three is Knights of the Old Republic. And then finally, Sean Bradley um, says uh, Knights of the Old Republic number one, and then gives some love to Star Wars Squadron, saying the story was amazing. So, yeah, thank you everyone for sharing your picks and your top five favorite Star Wars video games. I think the most popular one had to be Knights of the Republic and the original Battlefront 2. Those ones seem to be the most on everyone's list, but still good to see all the different choices that everyone has uh, when it comes to Star Wars video games. Because as we said in our last episode, there are tons to choose from. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Nice to see a lot of that love for the Battlefront games, for the KOTOR games, and uh, even for um, like Jedi Fallen Order and, and Rogue Squadron and some of those other ones. But uh, there's one person who we have not heard uh, chime in with their top five Star Wars games yet who is absent from our last episode. And Paul, I know you said you wanted to uh, give us yours real quick. So go ahead. Um, okay. Star Wars favorite games right off the bat. It's going to be Jedi Fallen Order. It's my favorite Star Wars game probably ever. Wow. I, wow. I, I'm shocked I, that's ahead of Battlefront 2. I didn't, I didn't even realize you played <laughs> Jedi Fallen Order that much. I, I just love the game, the overall game story and everything. I just, I love it. Um, it's it's the best experience I think because I was able to go in and out. I was grabbed by the story. Um, I want to play it again. It's a big deal. Battlefront two, the the recent game, this is the second one. Um, I I play that game just because I a lot, not because I I love it, but I 
it's it was very like it got a lot of uh, not aggression but like anxiety and that kind of stuff out so it just whenever i was feeling down or whatever i just kind of blow up some you know play star wars battlefront 2 listen to a podcast or audiobook while i played and it was kind of like one of those things it's why i played it so much it's kind of a good like decompressing kind of thing for me um i i like the, I, I, I was immersed in star wars and then it did its job i like fallen order more only because of it's a new it was a story and, I, and it just I love this. Yeah, I, I love that game. I loved it. I mean, I didn't like play it. I didn't beat it right away because I wanted to, you know, go through the whole thing and experience it kind of a thing, you know, whatever. So, um, but yeah, I, I love Fallen Order. I think it's my favorite game. Um, I'd say after that would be Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and I was late to the game on that. No pun intended. And I got to tell you, I, I played that a crap load. Um, and I, I, I really liked the story. I had no idea the Revan twist at all. So and I was, you're the opposite yeah. of me and Kyle. Cause we were both talking about how we knew going into it. That mm -hmm. was the twist. Cause we played it late too, but yeah, <laughs> we yeah. didn't get that spoiled for you. No, I, I had no idea. And I'm like, Holy crap. What? I had no idea. And I, cause it's, you gotta remember too, I, I played that a bunch and then just like fall in order. I had to take a break and it's just, I had played it in chunks. I just, I'm not a big gamer, but I love, love, love that game. Um, trying to think now, uh, what else, uh, I love playing for star Wars game. The original battlefront, I think is definitely on there. I, I, I was late to the game on that. I played that right before I got my uh, Xbox. I played it on PS2. I bought a PS2 just to play that first game on the, you know, to, against the computer. I had so much fun. I was such a, that's such a timeless game. In my opinion, I love that game. Um, even more than the sequel. I think that game is amazing. Um, just my opinion. Uh, I love that game. And the last game, I think for star Wars, um, man, this is tough. There's like, there's so, I mean, I, I played a lot, but I don't like love a lot of them either. So, going trying to think about this basic you know, just kind of the basic games um i guess i would have to say probably like uh you know uh super star wars return of the jedi just because i love playing it's how ridiculous nice it is <laughs> you know i mean it's super hard but uh but yeah no i i maybe i'm thinking like if I'm, something else might come to mind I might be like oh yeah actually that one but uh yeah, I'd say that off the top of my head, probably one of the Super Star Wars games at the end. I really like those games. They're a lot. Of, they're ridiculous, but they're a lot of fun. So yeah, hmm. I'd say that. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, no, it's funny. Just I didn't, I didn't realize you love Jedi Fallen Order that much because that was what, number three on my list, I think. But I've beaten that game like three times, and I was like, wait, we talk about Star Wars all the time. How did I not realize you love that game that much? Mm -hmm. Um. But uh, yeah, no, we had a good time, obviously, talking about all that stuff on our last episode. So thank you guys for uh, chiming in with your thoughts and your top five lists and everything. And um, cool to see just the variety of different Star Wars games that, that everybody loves and see what resonates with people. So I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. As always, you can follow us online. Check us out on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can uh, check out our website at starwarstsc.com and send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com um, if you want to send in 
thoughts, comments, questions, uh, episode topic suggestions, video game top five lists, anything like that, and we can read them here on the show. Um, and of course, check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, enjoy the Mandalorian Season 2 premiere that's coming out in just over a week. Our next episode will probably be shortly after that, and we'll uh, give you guys all our thoughts on that and looking forward to seeing Mando and the child and maybe some surprise friends along the way. Um, but until then, we will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed, Noble.